Bring it in. Read Option Podcast back and better than ever getting you ready for week 13 of the NFL and conference championship week. I just kind of, I channeled my inner Gus Johnson there. Conference championship week. Big 10 new kickoff. Going down the sideline. You can't catch him. I don't have any good like one-liners like he does, but <laughs> Gus Johnson, one of a kind. Uh, no veto today, but we do have Scotty. Uh, so me and Scotty, yeah. which is all we need. Big week. It's all we need for this podcast, I think, is me and Scotty. It, uh, we have a huge no, matchup we need on veto. Sunday. I mean, we always we need want, veto. We always need veto. We, we, of course, on a basic level, we always need veto. But uh, this week, that I'd say no offense to veto, and I don't think he would take any offense to this. We needed both of us to be on this podcast, just like we're going to need both of us to be on that pod on Tuesday uh, after we see what happens uh, 4.25 p.m. Eastern time in Philadelphia. Quite the matchup between the Eagles and the Niners headlining uh, a pretty, pretty fun week of NFL games. Uh, So I'm excited. We also have a great, which seems like on paper, a great Thursday night football game tonight. No Kenneth Walker for the Seahawks. I have a feeling uh, Dallas right now being a nine and a half point favorite is going to uh, is going to have their way with the uh, the Seahawks after they've been struggling the last few weeks. But you never know. This is always when uh, Dallas seems to have a letdown game, right? They've they've been playing too good. It feels like they're kind of due for a letdown game. So we'll get into all that. But uh, first off, how are you doing, Scotty? It's great to see you. I'm good. I'm amped up for this week of football, man. It's conference championship week, which is always fun. Uh for uh for wall-to-wall football action on saturday uh my and wife's friday. holiday party at her company and friday too her uh, my wife's company has their annual holiday party this weekend which i'm stoked for uh because it's always a good time and we always have a tv with one of the games on and everybody drinks and it's 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 wicked fun all the um, husbands are gathered around the tv i'm telling you and i got a fellow niners fan there that's what that's a uh one of my wife's friends husbands so uh, we'll be there talking smack to all the uh, the Eagles fans at her company, and there are several, by the way. So uh, we'll be there uh, on Saturday or Saturday night, repping and uh, and uh, watching college football in the process. I'm stoked for this weekend, man. It's it's a good slate, I think, on Sunday. But Saturday, like like we alluded to at the end of last week's episode or uh, earlier this week, rather, is uh, is just Saturday. It's so fun to to have football action from Friday night with the Pac-12. Uh, which was smart by them. The last, the last game ever in the Pac-12, and then um, the uh, the wall to wall from noon to to about eleven o'clock at night, ten o'clock at night on Saturday. Just getting um, all of these uh, conference championships aligned, and then Sunday morning you wake up, you get the bowl selection show. Um, yeah, for four hours, which is incredible, and that leads into seven hours of commercial free football on Sunday. I love this week. It's one of my favorites of the year. It is definitely one of the best football weeks. You get 10 college football games, and all 10 of them are good games uh, featuring the top two teams of every conference, or at least nine out of the 10 conferences. Uh, We know the best team in the Sun Belt will not be participating this weekend. Uh, Take that as you may. Um, 
but you know, I'm with you. I'm with you. And and we will touch on some JMU news here to start in just a minute. Uh, but it is one of the best college, uh, not just college, one of the best football weekends, especially because this is kind of the start of the final run, right? Uh, to, as you're listening to this now, uh, Friday, December 1st, we are in December, right? So we have the month of December. We get a few weeks in Jan, uh, and then basically it's a month of uh, of December, and we have like two weeks in January, and then boom, we are in the thick of playoff, playoff season, and uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. I I can't wait. Um, and, and again, like for us, like we we're kind of kicking off this back this back stretch where there's a lot of tough games for a lot of really really good teams in the NFL. Uh, and then of back course, nine, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and of course we're getting uh, the the best time of year to be a college football fan. Uh, because you're just debating people left and right about the college football playoff. And you and I had a, a lengthy uh, debate over text that we're going to get into uh, before all of the conference championship games come out. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll touch on it again on Monday. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's so much to get into uh, before we jump into the football stuff though. We do have a podcast, Scotty. I don't, did you know that we have a podcast? We do. Yeah, we do have a podcast. Um, and unfortunately this time of year, we are legally required to ask the question, um, what did you think of your Spotify wrapped? Oh, uh, my wife really controls the uh, the Spotify. So oh. it was all it was all whatever she listens to. She does the the Spotify because she has that in her car. And usually I'll, and the reason I got Apple Music is so that she could listen to her curated stuff after uh, uh. I spent hours and hours and uh, hundreds of hours curating my stuff on Spotify. She uses my uh, Spotify listens to all of her music. I so she's got Apple Music, so we're not interfering because I don't want to pay the uh, the extra money for the the super premium where you can have two years. Or so two different uh, accounts. Whatever. It's yeah. all it's all hers. A lot of Tyler Childers. A lot of uh, uh, Zach Bryan. A little bit of Zach Bryan. Yeah, a lot of uh, Morgan Wallen. That type of thing. That's mm. that's her. That's her gas. I'm um, I'm amazed that Apple hasn't come out with their own version of that. Uh, they do, they do. do they, they make a playlist of your, uh, but it's it's really, yeah, it's all but like it's your... the wrapped. It's like all the statistics that make the whole Spotify yeah. wrapped thing fun. Yeah, Apple's c- comes out. It's sort of like a uh, like a story you would see on Instagram or or uh, uh, on Snapchat or something. Yeah, um, it it's it's nowhere near out. the. Yeah, it just shows you what like highlights. It's not any statistics like you see on it. Like it doesn't tell you you're the top one percent of listeners uh, uh, to a particular artist or podcast on Spotify. Yeah, well, let's um let's play a quick game then, and because I've had the same top five artists since the first year that Spotify Wrapped came out, which I was in college still when this when this first came out it was my I believe it was my senior year of college, maybe my junior year. Uh, it's been the same five artists. So let's play a let's play a friendship game, Scotty. You and I are very, very good friends. We've been friends mm-hmm. for a long time. Yeah. I want to know, you get five guesses. How many of my top five do you think you can name correctly? I don't know. Uh, I'm just going to throw names out. Throw, throw I think names my over-under out. is probably three and a half. You uh, think that I would put, I, would, I don't know. I think I might set it at two and a half. Okay. So Chance there's a couple rappers of, on there. All right. That is one. That's, I didn't think you would get chance. All right, that's one. Correct. Chance the rapper is there. It's got to be Pearson. Uh, is is also on there. So Pearson is him Pierce, Pearson is not, but he, uh, my buddy Pearson Swanson. For any listeners who have not checked him out, he's a good buddy of mine. Lives in Nashville. He's actually going to be here tomorrow. He's spending the night with me tomorrow. He's in the area. Uh, he's uh he's got a debut EP coming out next Friday, uh, December eighth. So mark your calendars for that. Check them out on uh, on Spotify. But my number one and number three most played songs were the two singles that he released this year. So fair enough. Uh, so no Pearson, but you were on the right track. 
Uh, I feel like there's got to be ABBA on there. Wow. No, no ABBA. Not, oh, wow. not, even, not even close. Huh. Wow. Um, I don't know, man. Is, that, is Zach Brown on there? No, probably not. Zach Brown is on there. Yeah. All right. Zach Brown is one of those. He's a good one that like I play a lot when we have parties or people over just because like no one dislikes Zach. He wouldn't I wouldn't classify him as one of my like all time favorite artists. But, you know, he's probably in that top 10, top 15 for me somewhere in that ballpark. But his music gets played a lot because it's, it's yeah. good. It's good music for everybody to like. Trying to think of our golf playlists. Um, so that's usually how I, I would base this. There's uh, there's three left. And I know I, I know you'll be kicking yourself for not guessing one of them. Um Yeah, probably. Oh god, I'm drawing a blank. I'm betting Zach Bryan's up there though. Zach Bryan is not one. It's a good it's a good guess though. Uh, Taylor Swift. How about that? <laughs> No, you're confusing me with vetoes. No, oh, sorry, uh, sorry. you you saw one of the uh, you and I both saw not the same artist, but two of the um, artists this year. You saw one of the artists earlier this year. I saw one of the other artists earlier this year. Was it Tyler Childers then? It was not Tyler Childers. Hmm. You got to think back to like February. You saw what this artist. I see. And Happy Valley. Oh, Bruce. Yeah, of course. Bruce. Hello. Bruce is Gary on Gimple. there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's all I'm saying. Like, how did I thought for sure that would be one of your uh, yeah. first guesses? That was my top one on Apple. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the other two were John Mayer and Ed Sheeran. Oh, the opposite of Taylor Swift. Yes. It. And John if Mayer. you look up, you can't see this people listening, but I have three vinyls of Ed Sheeran right here. It was sitting right in front of Scotty the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I missed so, yeah, those three obvious the... ones, and I get Chance the Rapper. Imagine you, that. Hey, right out of the <laughs> gates, you were like confident. Chance the Rapper. Boom. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that was that was my top five artists. Again, everyone, I'm sure. Uh, but w- we did get data back from our Spotify wrapped for this podcast on Spotify. Uh, Appreciate a, lo- you. a lot of our listen- listeners do listen to us on Apple podcasts. Um, so thank you to all of our Apple podcast listeners. But just the, the numbers and the data that we got, um, we were aired in 35 different countries this year, which is pretty remarkable. Um, we saw a, a 25% increase in listeners from the beginning of last year till this year. Uh, and there was one other, so it was 20, uh, there was one other stat that I can't remember, but needless to say, um, anytime we, we take a look at the numbers, uh, as we approach 20,000 downloads on this bad boy, um, it, it is very wild. And, um, you know, I would not classify us as like, quote unquote, content creators, even though that's what we do. But it's like not our job. It's it's kind of I mean, I guess it's kind of my job, but not not necessarily this. And so us getting a chance to do this and having people who support us is is objectively one of the coolest things um, that I have going. And I know Scotty and Vito feel the same way. So whether you know us and listen to us through Scotty, Scotty's family's friends, uh, people who know us through him, uh, whether you are people from Cleveland who've met Vito and Vito's co-workers and his friends. Um, who listened to us, obviously our friends, the Calcateras. We appreciate you guys for uh, for checking us out. Anyone in my family, friends, people who know me, who've supported us or checked us out, followed us, given us a good rating. Um, any of that stuff uh, goes a very, very long way and it, it means the world to us. So, uh, And of course, if you if you found us just on your own looking for a new podcast, we love you arguably even more because you went out of your way to find us and uh, we've, we've become a place for you guys to come and and spend some time every single week with us. So we appreciate you guys. And um, 
it's crazy. The numbers always blow me away, but uh, we do appreciate you guys. So uh, tip of the cap to the uh, to the loyals. Appreciate you. Always makes always. it fun to to get on a mic and not just spew into the uh, into the ether. No, yeah. knowing that people are listening to us, I appreciate it. Everyone. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah, we that's that's what we appreciate it's about you guys. Uh, there's a letter Kenny reference for you all. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's dive into the football stuff here. We're uh, we're gonna talk some college stuff to begin. We'll take a break and then we'll hop in and we'll 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 tackle all the NFL picks like we normally do. We'll go over the standings. Uh, we the boys had a big week last week. Vito and I both went three and zero. Uh, sorry, Scotty and I both went three and zero. Yeah, uh, you put some Vito, respect. <laughs> Vito went two and one. Uh, but as a as a whole podcast, eight and one last week on our locks was pretty damn good. Uh, and Vito and I both went uh ten and uh, ten and six, I believe, uh, this past week. And uh, Scotty eight and eight. So as a whole, we had a really really good week with our picks. We're gonna try to keep uh keep the the good stuff rolling here, and still. We're all over 500, both overall. Um, well, almost both overall and on the locks. But Scotty's crawling back. Scotty's almost uh, back to over 500 here for uh, our locks. So uh, we've been put, we've been picking some winners this year, which has been fun. Smartest um, thing we've done. Yeah, by far, easily the best pick Un- season until I go 0 and three, and then uh, yeah, and then yeah, we're we're, jinx- we're jinxing <laughs> us now. Uh, I believe the last time I said we were uh, we were getting hot, I, I rattled off a. Like an 0 and two, oh two and one, and then a one one and one in back to back weeks. So I might have just given us the kiss of death, but we'll uh, we will see. Um, I want to do a quick little quick little rant here before we get into the conference, uh, the college football playoff, and some of the the college football debates. Um, news broke today that uh, JMU coach Kurt Signetti is leaving the program to become the head coach of the Indiana Hoosiers, and. I know a lot of you listening have have joined on the JMU bandwagon, and it, it's been a fun ride. Um, I am including a JMU, me and Vito, you and Vito <laughs> both. I mean, it's it's been a very pro JMU pod, and they've they've been an amazing story, right? You know, taking on the NCAA and and everything that's gone with it. It's hard not to root for that team, but there's a couple of things I wanted to bring up here. Um, I understand the decision by Kurt Signetti to leave. I do. Because ultimately, there's one thing that matters when it comes to college football. Money. And this is a very cynical thing. And I've worked with, like, true, hardo college football purists who believe in the education factor, who believe in there's something to, like, coming in and and being a backup for two years and walking out on senior day with your roses and your parents and all that stuff. And there, there is a lot of cool, like, heartwarming, emotional ties to that those kinds of arguments. And there's a lot of valid emotions that go with them as well. If you ever played at that level, I did not, Scott did not, Vito did not. That was a massive moment of your life. Just like I remember my last, you know, college baseball game playing at JMU. I remember my, uh, my last acapella concert playing at JMU. Scotty, Vito, you guys remember your last Penn state games and like these really big moments as fans or oh, members vividly. of clubs. Yeah. They're important moments, right? So I'm not trying to sit here and be like the people who value that stuff are wrong. But what I am trying to say is the people who who value that stuff and think that that is the lifeblood, that is that is what college football is all about, those people have the biggest pair of rose-colored glasses on that you could possibly find. Because the truth is, there's one thing that matters in college football, and it's money. And I know, I already know the arguments, right? 
people turn around and say, hey, but Jeff, you guys were talking about Texas A&M, right? They're the most financially valuable college football program in the country. They've had how many double-digit win uh, seasons in the last 15 years? One. I understand that, right? They're an outlier. They're a cult. There's a million reasons why. But the bottom line is college football at its core is haves versus have-nots. It's And that goes, and that's a very broad way of describing it, right? But that goes into a bunch of different things. That goes into, do you have an elite coach or do you not, right? Do you have the Nick Saban, Urban Meyer, Lincoln Riley, you know, Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, top tier elite level coach, or do you have the Eli Drinkowitz, right? Or the, the Mark Stoops, really good coaches who will have a 10 win season once every four or five years, right? Those coaches are uh, James Franklin as well. Thank you, Scotty. Um, Like those are good football coaches, but they're not the championship football coaches, right? So on that level, you have your haves versus you have nots. You have your recruiting, right? And recruiting for years, whether it was the, the money going through McDonald's bags and brown bags and cars getting shipped out and all this stuff under under board that no one wanted to look at versus now where everything with NIL is above board. There was always with recruiting the haves and have nots. Do you have the top notch facilities? Do you have the lounges? And do you have all this great stuff? Do you have NIL deals to be able to attract the best people in the country or are you a place like Stanford or Notre Dame where the academics and the brand are supposed to kind of carry the way yes you'll have some NIL support no question but it's not going to be to the same extent that you see the top tier elite programs and the amount of money that gets funneled into it Oregon being a prime example with their connection to Nike the amount that that the the facilities alone that Phil Knight has built on that campus pre-NIL pre-transfer portal pre this modern era of college football was you know the Chip Kelly era was such a massive advantage that Oregon had over everyone else. Didn't necessarily equate to you know national championships, but it still was a have versus a have not. Right? Then you look at recruiting. You have recruiting. You have your head coaches. Those are at its core the two most important things that money can get you in college football. A really, really good elite level head coach and really, really, really good recruits. And part of that's chicken and the egg, right? Like Nick Saban's a really, really good coach. He keeps putting these guys in the NFL because he keeps putting guys in the NFL. Players decide that they want to go there. Nick Saban then gets more and they kind of feed into each other, right? The snake eating its own tail until you have this beautiful, I guess the opposite of that. But, you know, everyone knows what I'm trying to say. What happened to JMU today is a real fucking shame. It really is. And I saw the scuttlebutt on Twitter over the last couple of days. I saw a lot of stuff. And I worked in college sports media. I had these conversations with guys who were at, at the height and in the know with, with, the, with coaches, athletic directors, who knew more about college football and would talk more stuff off the record to me than I could even share on a podcast like this. I know how seedy and gross and nasty the, the underbelly that is college football truly, truly is. And as much as we love this sport and we look at these amateur athletes as they are considered right now, and we say, man, like, look at them on senior day, walking out with their mom and their dad with their roses and look how beautiful this moment is. That moment is beautiful, but that's not what college football is. What college football is, is about money. 
The best programs in the country are at and in the conferences who have the biggest TV deals. When Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan are getting cut $100 million checks because of the Big Ten network and because of wherever the Big Ten decides to sign their TV uh, their TV rights to, that immediately is new facilities and, and, and everything that doesn't apply to NIL deals. Their boosters and everything else and the alumni, that money, which is more money that they have, attributes to the NIL and everything else that comes with it. Same thing with the SEC. There's a reason the ACC, the Big 12, the Pac-12 as a whole have not been, and the Pac-12 is a little bit different this year, but there's a reason that they haven't been as strong top to bottom as other you know, conferences are, the SEC, right? The Big 10 in certain years. And it always fluctuates. It always goes full circle. I understand that. It's never like the SEC is awesome top to bottom every year. Mizzou, Vandy, you know, there have been plenty. And Mizzou's having an amazing year this year. But in two years from now, they could be absolutely at the bottom of the barrel. And Eli Drinkwitz could easily get fired. Similar to Tom Allen, right? Tom Allen, that 2020 COVID season, that, that Indiana team with Michael Penix Jr., the team that beat Penn State, that was a really, really good, fun football team. And yet, here he is in five years. I mean, they were. Scotty's giving me a look, but like they, they, they were. He was good. down, but it's yeah, it was yeah, fun. Of course, of course, he was. He was down, <laughs> as every Penn State fan will say. But the the point is, is that they were a good football team that year. Three years later, Tom Allen is now fired. And it's because of this this machine that is college football that is that runs off of money, right? And what sucks is that it has affected every aspect of college football. It's affected the stadiums. It's affected recruiting. It's affected the coaching circle. It's 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 infected everything in it. And for the longest time, they said you can't have the players get a piece of this money, right? The the players were always left out of this machine. And God forbid that the players get a touch of this money, right? And and players who are just trying to find a way to get themselves to the NFL so that they might be able to make money off of their skill set, off of their profession. And even those who aren't, be able to get a full ride, maybe be able to make some money along the line. And if they have you know, knee injuries and they have stuff, at least be able to get money from the schools because they're putting their body out on the line for millions and millions and millions of dollars that are getting put back into a school to build new buildings and cafeterias and dorms and all this shit just so they can charge more for uh, for tuition. And, and the whole cycle just repeats itself. I learned very early in my career that the athletics in college are the are, are the front door. They're the front porch, they're the, the glass door at the front of your house to the to the rest of a university. That's the first thing that most people associate with schools. Right. Anyone who follows college sports at all, you see a team like, you know, St. Peter's, who was a 15 seed who went on an unbelievable run. Anytime you hear St. Peter's College moving forward, there's one thing we're going to think about. We're going to think about their run in the NCAA tournament. Right. And even if you were like a casual fan, you just love March Madness. You're going to think to yourself, how do I know St. Peter's? How do I where is that from? It's from the NCAA tournament run. Right. College athletics is this disgusting money grabbing thing that ultimately you go through the whole system and it spits out a beautiful, chaotic, awesome product that is college football. 
and college basketball and the college world series and the women's college world series, right? The, all of these things that, that we love as sports fans is created based off of this disgusting system that exists behind it. And ultimately what we saw in Harrisonburg, Virginia today and Kurt Signetti leaving when two weeks ago, he's sitting up there with Pat McAfee talking about who would ever want to leave this, who would ever want to leave these fans talking to thousands of kids and fans who are probably skipping class to go stand outside and watch Pat McAfee and on his show. And McAfee's out there putting on the JMU tank top, thumping his chest, JMU dudes and all of this stuff. Right. And ever and everyone's going through this. Everyone's going crazy, you know, and Signetti saying I'm 63 years old. You know, I, I was my, my, Dad told me, you know, keep an eye on that Madison College. One day they might be something. This is a great place for football. And he's touting all of this shit about the NCAA and fuck. It's the Dukes against the world, man. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. And you know what, Scotty? I fucking believed it. I knew the CD underbelly. I knew the disgusting mess mm-hmm. that was college football. That was yep. college welcome, athletics. The NCAA. Welcome to drinking the Kool-Aid, bud. <laughs> I we do knew it at Penn that State. was there, and <laughs> I still fucking believed it. I know better. You, you guys know better. Every college football fan should know better than to buy into this shit. And yet, we do. And that's why I wasn't surprised when Kurt Signetti left. I wasn't even mad at Signetti for leaving, because... The Sunbelt JMU, despite all of the money that JMU has, and there is a shitload of money in that school, they couldn't compete with a TV deal type, TV deal back school in the Big Ten like Indiana. And I don't know what the contract details are. We'll find out at some point. I understand the the one point two million that he was making at JMU compared to the five six million he's probably going to be making at uh, at at Indiana like there's a massive difference there but ultimately this is what's wrong with the sport and this is why it's been wrong that people and these these douchebag college football purists and people who I consider friends and people I worked with for a long time who could make very good arguments this is why they're wrong because you want to keep this massive pieces of the massive pieces of these pies and the hundreds of millions of dollars that are going to these university and the kids who who are fucking earning that money who are the ones creating the product are seeing not a fucking dime this might sound dramatic so bear with me but it's really not that different than when you see like people who are setting up factories in other places of the world and paying the people who work in those factories pennies on the dollar. And then they come in, they get their shoes or phones or whatever it is being made. And then these companies are making billions of dollars off the backs of people who are actually creating it. That's essentially what we've been doing to these kids for so long. And finally, with NIL, they got a piece of it. And yet that's still wrong to some people. To some day, for some reason, this college football season, which has had more parody and so much excitement and has been so much fun to follow, people thought, well, if they get money, it's not going to be the same. We're not going to enjoy it. I'm not going to, I'm never going to watch again. Where are all the people who said, if the players start getting paid, I'm never going to watch again, huh? What ha- Where's Dabo with his line about, if the players start making money, I will retire. Where are you, Dabo? Oh, that's right. You're cashing your $10 million a year fucking checks. To win because, six games. <laughs> because the, there's one thing that fucking matters in this stupid sport and this stupid enterprise, and that is fucking money. 
And so, Kurt Signetti, thank you for the run. It was great. JMU's hired three great coaches in a row, Withers, Mike Houston, Kurt Signetti. JMU people are very hopeful that there's going to be another good hire. Jeff Bourne, the AD, is retiring at the end of this year who hired all those people. It's hard in college football to hire four consecutive really good coaches. Florida State hasn't been able to do it. Oklahoma hasn't been able to do it. You can look around to the biggest programs in the country. Very, very few have ever been able to do that. I'm holding my breath. But thank you, Kurt Zagnetti, for drawing us through here. I'm disappointed in myself for buying into this. But today was another reminder of we love college football. I love college football. And ultimately, this is a Dr. Seuss-looking type machine that you put in money on one end, and it goes through all these weird little contraptions, and it spits out the beautiful present and product that is college football, that is college basketball, that is college athletics as a whole. And we we unwrap it every single year and we get so excited and we love it. And we're going to get into a debate about the college football playoff coming up in a second. And I can't wait to do that. But today was a, a, a stark reminder and how much it fucking sucks to be on the losing end of this and how much like already seeing four or five JMU players enter the transfer portal before Signetti had even addressed the team. Like, that shit sucks. And so, a reminder to anyone out there who is this college football purist, get your head out of your ass. Understand that this is what college football is. Coaches will leave and drop their teams and, and their families and all the families that of the kids that they recruited and all the players that looked up to them, all the students who spent their time and hard-earned money to go support you. They will drop you at the drop of a hat without even fucking thinking about it, to go make more money somewhere else. And it's hard to blame them when it's this big of money. But never forget, never forget what runs college football. It's one thing, and it's money, and that is fucking it. Yeah, that's the the hard part to swallow for me. And I'd be, you know, I, I get your argument's a fair one. It's a business at the end of the day, uh, college <clears throat> sports, athletics in general, but particularly college football. Um, so I get the impetus to do it. I just don't understand logistically if I if I may tap that uh, keg for a second. Logistically, why if if JMU has all of this this funding and 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 all of the success, jumping from not only in the FCS when they were when they were a powerhouse there, but jumping into a a, a group of five school in, in uh, F, FBS, having the success they've had there, they have all the funding, they have all the backing, they have. What we saw during college game day and that whole week was a massive underswelling of support and 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 faith in that football team. To then go to a place like and I get money is probably the answer. Um, it's it's that old you know SpongeBob meme where they're asking Mr. Krabs, "Why'd you do it? Money? But yeah. what else would it money? <laughs> yeah. uh, but but why then would you if you're Signetti go to?" Of all places, and I get it's Big Ten, but Indiana's does not give a fuck about football. Not no. once, not never. No. So why like it doesn't make sense to me logistically. Like if if Texas AM had come calling, sure. No questions asked. Oregon State had come calling. I would have been like, okay, step up, maybe a little bit. Um but like Indiana is a basketball school. They've always been a basketball school. They tell everyone they're a basketball school. And there's reason for that because most most of their athletic funding 
like in football that goes to the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Penn States of the world goes to football and football alone. And, and in Indiana's case, it goes to basketball. So I, I just don't understand what the impetus is apart from money. Like we've, we've, we've hammered that argument a million times, but it doesn't make sense. And the era is dead where, you know, you're going to get a coach for 30 years um, who's there because he wants to to win with his guys who he's brought in. Um, it's just, it's not that anymore. It's a business. And I think, however, you might get some of that with, with some of the, the super successful teams, but it's going to be fringe. It's not like it it's going to be when, it, you know, even when we were younger, when we were watching um, the super teams of the world, the Miamis, the, uh, the Ohio States, the uh, the Notre Dames, the the Texases, the Penn States in the 80s and 90s um, just like become super teams and dominate because those guys can go and even players too. But the coaches who who lead them can come and go, like you said, um, at, at the at the drop of a hat. And it's not going to matter. And and that kind of sucks um, to to make it a factory. But again, at the end of the day, it is a business. And uh and you know where there's money to be had, there's money to be uh to be gained. So uh, I don't know. It sucks for uh, for you guys. Uh, I feel like you were on the up and up, um, and even more so uh, this year on a, on a great trajectory. Yeah. Um, and now it's uh, now it's a it's a a pothole. I think <laughs> in the uh, in the journey there. I mean, as speaking as a JMU fan, because a couple things I want to touch on what you said there, but at least addressing the JMU fan aspect of it. I mean, think about the last two weeks have been, right? I mean, the last two weeks were the college game day excitement, right? We're getting game day. I guess go back two and a half weeks, right? College game day is coming. Can't wait. It's going to be an unbelievable crowd. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Game day comes. You have the McAfee show. It's, well, the, the, the state is going to be suing the NCAA, and uh, JMU is going to have a lawsuit, and, and all this stuff that's going one after another, right? Just all this great momentum leading up to the game. They come up short after a, a, an exhilarating game against App State. They come up short. Off the face of the earth. <laughs> right? And that's a massive drop. And then they go up. Yeah. A week later, and it's, man, we beat the shit out of Coastal Carolina. And like, fuck, man, if we had just taken care of business against App State, we'd have this undefeated team. And so, like, yes, we beat the shit out of Coastal Carolina, but, like, it it almost sucked more because of how badly we beat them, the fact that we lost to App State. They're like, fuck, man, if we had just beaten app state we'd be on the feeder right now we'd be able to do the fake shirts of national champions because the ncaa wasn't gonna let us bowl right and all that stuff right we were, we would be able to do that we could be on our way to a you know a 13 and 0 season going into a bowl game right and then it's like all right well now we kind of get excited oh enough teams won boom jmu's bowling this weekend only then to have this drop right and, and this this is going to set JMU back a little bit. Like it's impossible not to like, it's just, it's the nature of how this works and like credit to Signet and like to address your points about why do this, right? Why jump up and do this? Why go to Indiana money? First and foremost, number one is money. Number two is money. Number three is money. Number four is money. Okay. And then after the first four, the fifth one is also money. And then number six, you could say money, but it's more than likely it's the ego. Right. It's the ego of these coaches. 
at the end of the day, these guys are competitors. They're former athletes. They're, they're coaches. Their whole life is about competing and winning. And they all want to know if they can win at the highest level. And ultimately, with the way the con- conference realignment has looked, jumping to a Big Ten school is the best way to secure your spot in the true dance. Because you said it earlier, the last Pac-12 game ever is happening on Saturday on Saturday night. Friday. Friday night, sorry. The Oregon Pac-12 game. Tomorrow night, by the time you're listening to tonight, this is the last Pac-12 football game that you will that you will ever exist. All right, so that's it after that. That is crazy, and we still don't know the fallout. We still don't know what the future of college football is going to look like. There is still a chance that at some point down the road in the next five years that football itself breaks away, or at least this top level, this these, these power five conglomerates that will probably – eventually trickle down to two or three conferences will break away from the NCAA and have their own entity leaving group of five schools on their own. And if this is an opportunity to get yourself in the dance at all, to get your ticket, even if it's the last row in the arena, you're still going to get in because you never know. You might be the Courtney Cox who gets pulled up on stage to dance with Bruce, even if you're the last seat in the arena, right? That is ultimately what he, he chose to do. Indiana, the, again, the money is the big thing, all right? If I was to look for other arguments, it is the, air, the the arrogance and ego of coaches to always want to get to that next level. Kurt Signetti's father is a college football Hall of Famer. He's an all-time college football guy. His family's an all His brother's also a head coach in college football. College football runs through this, this, this family's DNA, and I'm sure he wanted to be the first Signetti to be a Power 5 head coach, right, in the modern era. He went and did it. He took the chance. He took the leap of faith. But this is the reminder, all right? And this might be cynical. But ultimately, believe in the players, right? Because what you see on the field with the players, that's not cynical. That's real, all right? Guys who are crying on their on their final day. The stuff that I was talking about at the beginning. Like the stuff that football college football purists love. That is real. That is legitimate. Buy into that. Fuck these coaches. Fuck these administrations. Fuck these conference commissioners. Fuck these athletic directors. Fuck the NCAA over everything else. It's all about the money. And it sucks. And it's disappointing. And I I root for Signetti down the road. But I knew this was coming because of how we got Kurt Signetti in the first place. 2018, Mike Houston after leading JMU to a national championship and then a runner-up in the FCS level after they lost to North Dakota State my senior year. Mike Houston, a report came out that Mike Houston was going to become the head coach at Charlotte. And everybody lost their mind. And Mike Houston came out and vehemently said, that's not true, that's not the case, that's not what ha- what's happening. I'm staying at JMU, I'm not going anywhere. Everyone kind of breathed a sigh of relief, right? And we're like, all right. He's not going anywhere. We're good. We're good. The next day, he's announced as the head coach at East Carolina. He was correct. He said he wasn't going to Charlotte. But he lied to everybody there or didn't tell the full truth, which in my book is still lying. Right? So Mike Houston's Mm -hmm. out. That scar tissue is still with JMU fans, just like it is with many, many college football fans for their own schools. Kurt Signetti was the head coach at Elon who is probably the number two or number three rival 
to JMU in the CAA, which was the conference that they played in the FCS. Kurt Signetti jumped for more money. Not a lot more money, but for more money. He left Elon to a conference rival for a, a bump up of pay of two hundred to $300,000 a year, which I understand is a lot of money. I get it. That's a lot of money. All right. But we knew what he was like. We knew where his true allegiances lied. And just like every single one of us, just like the arguments we had about the, the, the live versus PGA tour players, right? Like money talks. And when it's life changing money, it's, it's money for, for the rest of your life and for your family's life. It's, it's inevitably what's going to happen. And it sucks. And it's a shame, but remember this, right? Remember this next year. If you have a really good season for your team, root on the players, love the players, fuck the coaches, love the players. Cause the players, are the ones that are out there doing it, they deserve the NIL money. They deserve a piece of the bigger pie that the NCAA and these colleges are getting off of their backs and fuck the coaches for their just willingness to jump from school to school to school and, and torture these fan bases and break the hearts of, of thousands of people and lie to their face before doing it. So I'm getting off my soapbox, but I always kind of felt that way. And I've always kind of been cynical about that stuff. But after what happened today, it it, it hit another level. So my rant is over. We will move on to the college football playoff. Um, Let's talk about the college football playoff, Scotty. Because you were unhappy and uh, I want you to get to 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 lay out your case right now for your frustrations when it comes to where the committee has has placed these teams and why you feel like right now the committee is not doing the job that they should be doing uh, when it comes to ranking these teams as we as we get ahead of the college football playoff. Yeah, uh, to me, it's a total CYA job. It, it's it's everything to to gain plausible deniability. Um and and set themselves up to uh, retort any uh, any challenge that they get from fans uh, or or universities for that matter uh, as to why uh, that school wasn't selected in the top four. First of all, the top four, and I've said this since its inception, is objectively stupid. To try to get the top four teams in college football every year makes zero sense, especially when you have five power power five conference. Only four teams can go to the playoff. Figure that one out. Um, different yeah, argument for a different stupid. day. Because that's just what it is now. So whatever. It's going to be fine next year when we get to the 12. That argument is moot. Uh, so my my biggest argument was, and I bet you could probably surmise which team I'm talking about, folks. Uh, not that I root for them. In fact, they're one of my largest rivals if you if you stick with us. Big um, 10, Scotty. Yeah. but But to my mind... I don't understand how the committee can take a a number five. Or the t- uh, they had a team ranked in the top four for most of the year in Florida State. They removed them last week from the top four, which is no small measure. That that is important that they were left out of the top four because they lost their starting quarterback. Understandable. Go prove it on the field. Uh, and maybe you'll get back into the top four was the assignment. Well, they went out and they ended up dogging a Florida team, but that game was 12 to seven at halftime. Very, very close. Um, and and it, now they decide, oh, well, uh, Florida State is now one of the top four teams 
um, even though we said they weren't last week um, and they won and they're 13-0. Okay, fine. They're undefeated. They're going to a conference championship game. That does matter. I will grant you that. But to take a team who has been number one or number two for the entirety of the college football playoff rankings and say, "Mm, your loss came at a time. um, Well, let me do this a a better way because I did this better in the text, I think. Uh, Let's compare Ohio State and Oregon, okay? Both resumes, not super stellar, apart from uh, one or two games here or there, okay? Oregon has one loss. Ohio State now has one loss. Oregon's loss came on the road in October against a Washington team who was never always in the top four. They are now, but they were not always in the top four of the college football playoff rankings. Ohio State's loss came on the road in the last week of the season against Michigan, who has always been in the top four and is now the number two seed uh, in, in the in the college football playoff rankings. Oregon has jumped Ohio State at five, which, again, is important because they're playing in a conference championship game. If they win out, their destiny is, is, uh, is in their own hands, right? But what you've told a school who you have ranked, ranked first or second uh, in each of the college football playoff rankings, putting them at six is saying you virtually have zero shot at getting into the top four. None. Mm-hmm. Unless by some miracle, Iowa beats Michigan, and we that's not going to happen. Even then, they still wouldn't. <laughs> even then, right? Because you would ostensibly have a a even in the in the most ob- obliterative of chaos, where Michigan loses, uh, uh, Georgia loses to Alabama, uh, and and Louisville beats Florida State, and Oregon beats Washington. You would still have five 12 and one teams, and four spots to fill them with one of whom didn't play in their conference championship game and is going to get punished for that. That makes zero sense to me that you can say, hey, you were the best team for uh, most of the season, so much so that we said you were one or two for the last four weeks. Oh, but you lost in the last week by a touchdown on the road, so you're not that anymore. It doesn't make any sense to me objectively. And for Oregon, like, yeah, I get it. They've, they've, they've played in, a, in a, what has been a better Pac-12 conference, but their resume is not stellar. They get a, the the loss late again on the road against Washington um, in October, and and so now that like if you put them at five, why why wouldn't you have had them at four to begin with when you pulled Florida State out of the top four? Because either way, you put them at four, five, or six. If they win this weekend against Washington in the Pac-12 championship game, it's it's a moot point, right? So. The committee's inconsistency is what I'm most frustrated with, right? And I understand conference championships matter. Uh, the The idea that you're undefeated probably matters, although I think this is a bit of an exception uh, if, if we're getting down to the Florida State case. And so my argument is, and, and I think it's a, a decent one, is then if, if you're going to do it the way that you've done it and make the put Florida State in the top four, then just say you're going to give the the four teams that are most deserving of a college football playoff trip a trip to the to the to the playoff. It's uh, the whole reason we migrated from the BCS was to get rid of the computers, put in a human element, and say, "Wow, these are the best four teams." Might not be 
like the most deserving by record and numbers and stats that we all put in a spreadsheet and spit out with a computer that we did in the BCS. But these are objectively the best four teams we see in college. And we're doing it again. We're saying, nope, you're 13-0 in a weak conference. Even though you're playing in your conference championship game, you're one of the top four teams. Um, I, I just, like, then if the committee's going to do that, that's fine. Come out and say, we're going to take the, the most deserving four teams into the college football playoff. Right now, if you put Oregon and Florida State on a neutral field, I bet Oregon would be favored by a touchdown. I bet Ohio State would be favored by a touchdown and a half. I mean, Oregon's I, a, so, Oregon's a ten point favorite over Washington. So t- why? Wh- so, why isn't? So why don't we just call it now, though, Scotty? I mean, the computer says that Oregon should be a, is is a ten point favorite over Washington this weekend. I, so yeah, let's just put Oregon in, and we won't even play the games this weekend. It doesn't matter, right? And that's your argument, which I, I get it. It's fair. The, you need to play it is, out. Ultimately, Scotty, that's the biggest problem with your argument, right? Let, let me let me go back real quick and address some of the things, all right? So, so first and foremost, I went through every single college football playoff rankings over the last three seasons, all right, and, and prep for this, this conversation. There has never been an instance where an undefeated Power 5 team has been ranked behind a team with one loss, ever, at least in the last three seasons. All right, and this year, every undefeated team has been ranked ahead of every single one-loss team. So, Ohio State was undefeated. They were ranked number one, number two in the, in the college football playoff rankings. They lost, all right? So, so by default alone, we have four Power 5 undefeated teams left, Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State. They will all be ranked ahead of Oregon, Ohio State, Texas, Alabama, all the, the, the four one-loss teams, all right? But, Jeff, don't they use the eye test, too? They do. The eye test oh. is, is essentially the tiebreaker, right? And so this is the problem with what you said, though, right? Because you said, who are the best four teams objectively? This isn't objective. This is subjective, right? Ultimately, it's if it's purely numbers-based, then JMU could make a case for being one of the top four teams in the country, right? But then that's when you, you have to pull in the whole picture. All right. And, and like it or don't like it. And if there's one person to blame for the fact that Ohio State does not have a chance to make the college football playoff, it's the Big Ten Conference for having an East and West division yeah, I, instead I, I will of give a you true that. championship. Because if yeah. it was like every other conference in college football Just right the now, top two. it was the yeah. top two teams, then Ohio State would have a chance to avenge that loss to Michigan from last week. They would play again this week in Indy, and then Ohio State would have a chance to redeem that loss and would at least have a better argument as to making the college football playoff. Ohio State at 11 and 1, there is no chance they are making the playoffs. If that was true what you're saying though, which is that like well we're going to punish Ohio State and pull them down, then they would be behind Texas and Alabama who both still have a legitimate chance to make the college football playoff. But they're not. They're ranked ahead of Texas and Alabama. Texas and Alabama win they're not automatically in. They need some help, right? But if Texas beats Oklahoma State and, say, Michigan somehow loses or Washington loses to Oregon or Florida State loses to Louisville or Alabama beats Georgia, Texas beat Alabama. So Texas would have a leg up on Alabama and Texas would likely be in the college football playoff. See, I don't think so. I think the committee right now, the way Alabama's playing, if Alabama beats Georgia and Texas wins, they they Alabama's value, in. They value different metrics, and one of them is head to head. They will say 
how different is Alabama now till but, then? But yeah. again, if they play it head to head, the committee would I think would absolutely put Texas in over Alabama because they played I, on I the disagree. field. And if they didn't, then that's just saying that the committee would just say that we're we're just going to put the team that we think is the best team, which makes it subjective, which is part of what you're saying. But Texas beat Alabama. There's a reason that Texas right now is ranked seven and Alabama is ranked eighth. So if Texas wins, and even if Alabama wins, yes, Alabama would have one of, if not the best win in college football this season. But that means Texas also beat them and Texas would be in by default. Right. Right. So my point is you don't get to cherry pick which week, which stats you put that week up against uh, the other to try to justify your case. It doesn't make it doesn't work that way. If you want to be consistent and get the best four teams in the playoff every year, and again, this is a moot point after next year, uh, well, for the most part. Mm-hmm. But if you want the best teams in the playoff, then you have to have the same consistency week in and week out. You can't oh. say, "Oh, well, the strength of record is what we're going to focus on this week," but, uh, but. Uh, it was when uh, Oregon lost to Washington, um, and then the uh, the the head to head is what we're going to focus on this week. Oh, Ohio State lost to Michigan, um, mm, so they're out. Um, that doesn't but, make sense. But but Scotty, it's it's not it's not cherry picking. It's trying to see the entire picture of a season, right? There is no consistency in college football. We know this, right? College football is like, there's consistency in terms of like the, the very elite programs that are always in it year in and year out. But the, the, the story that each season has is uniquely different. That's one of the reasons that that college football is, is as amazing of a product as it is because the wins and losses and who beat who and who's playing who at home and where and what point in the season, like that all factors into it. Like when we used to do this on the radio show about on, on ESPNU, like we would this week, we'd have a, like two guests in a three hour show. And the rest of the time we would just be de- having this debate, filling up three hours of airtime every single day for a week, having this exact debate. Right. And, and that is ultimately like the beauty of the four team playoff because it creates these unbelievable conversations. I completely agree with you, by the way. It's incredibly stupid. And the, all of the Power Five conferences are stupid for saying, like, well, we're going to have a playoff system that only four out of the five conferences max could get in every single year. But ultimately, Scotty, like at some point, the games have to matter. Right. Like Oregon right now, I think, is the second best team in the country. I think Georgia's number one. I think Oregon's number two. Okay. And I th- and I think Vegas, if you made odds against Oregon, against every team in the country, they would be favorited against every team in the country. But the reason that they're not ranked in the top four is because they lost to Washington. And that was months ago. But that so, still so, matters. Just like so, Texas beating Alabama still matters. And it's reflected within the rankings. The head-to-head so it, matters. Answer this to that. If Oregon wins a close game against Washington, Mm-hmm. And we we think, and I tend to agree with you that they're on the field. What we've seen over the past few weeks, they are one of the best four teams in the country. Yep. Oregon wins a, a very close game against Washington, a la like they, how played, they played in October, in yeah. but but flip it the other way. Florida State loses mm-hmm. a close game, a very very close game, similar fashion against Louisville. Mm-hmm. My bet is that they would put. Florida State 
still in the four because they made that decision to put them ahead of Oregon? No. They they wouldn't. They would both be 12 and 1. Oregon would be a conference champion, which the committee values conference championships as its like own bracket, right? Like there's different tier like not even tiers. It's like there's different like bubbles of like the committee values this, the committee values this, the committee values this. And then combined, they all matter. One of the one of their own has its own bubble is conference championships. Right. So the conf- winning a conference championship, Florida State loses and doesn't have Jordan Travis. Oregon, my guess there, and let's say, so let's play this out. Georgia beats Alabama. Alabama has two losses. Michigan wins. Georgia and Alabama are both undefeated conference champions. <laughs> Texas beats uh o- Texas beats Oklahoma State. So now they're a 12 and 1 conference champion. Washington loses. They're 12, they're 12 and 1, but they lost in the in the Pac 12. And then Oregon wins. The top three would be Georgia, Michigan, Oregon. That fourth spot would be a debate between uh, Washington and Texas, and it would probably go to Texas because Texas would have won and won the conference championship. The best case scenario, Florida State State would be out because they lost the conference championship to to Louisville. Then don't put them. See, that's my point. No, but you you have for now. Why they're undefeated? They're an undefeated Power Five team. They will always be at the top. They will not put a one-loss Power 5 team ahead of an undefeated Power 5 team. They're just not, especially going into conference championship week. But again, I went back through the last three years. There's never been an instance in the last three years where a an undefeated Power 5 team was ranked in the college football playoff rankings, not necessarily the AP, but in the college football playoff rankings, was ranked behind a one-loss team from a power, from a power conference. Right, because we've also never been in a situation in the college football playoff era where there are four undefeated teams going into conference championship week, and this is why, like the Florida State argument, is that you have to respect Florida State. Like I understand the Jordan Travis thing, I do. There's 22 players who play on the field. Jordan Travis is one of them. You can make the argument that Jordan Travis might be the most important out of all those 22 players. He's out, but if they win games and they win the ACC going undefeated. We may all think the ACC is is weak and and they have a backup quarterback. Well, backup quarterback argument, who won the first college football playoff? Ohio State with their third-string quarterback, Cardale Jones. And they were the fourth seed, right? And that Big Ten was extremely weak in the West that year. Michigan was on a down year, and Penn State was a pretty decent team, but they weren't at that level yet, right? It was pre-Saquon era. Saquon might have been like a freshman, right? It was like two years before. Right, yeah. So so that was a pretty weak Big Ten, but they still had third-string quarterback Cardell Jones. They didn't punish them for having JT Barrett out, and I think Braxton Miller might have been the first quarterback on that team. Yeah, He went out, and then it was JT Barrett, and then eventually went to Cardell Jones. Right. Cardale leads them to a national championship in that season. Look at, and we didn't even have to go all the way back to the first one. Look at last year. TCU was a double digit underdog to Michigan. The Big 12, everyone's saying the same stuff about the ACC right now that people said about the, the Big 12 last year, right? Texas had a down, Texas had a down year for what their expectations were. Oklahoma was like six and six. There wasn't another really, really elite team in the Big 12. TCU ends up winning the the conference. Everyone's talking about, well, that's a weak conference. It's a weak conference. TCU doesn't deserve to be in there. They're going to get smoked by Michigan. Next thing you know, TCU's playing in the national championship game. So, like, I understand that, like, if and if we're talking, like, and, and we will make our picks at the end of this pod, 
and, and we'll obviously make our picks for the college football playoff when we get there. But like, if you're telling me right now, like what's my prediction for Florida state, if they make the playoff and they have to play Georgia, they're going to get their shit shoved down their throat. Just like so almost, why? just like almost every other year when a team like Georgia is, which honestly Georgia is not that much better than like the, the gap between Georgia and everyone else is not what it's been the last couple of years with their back-to-back national championships. So Georgia can absolutely be had. Georgia might lose to Alabama this weekend. That's very possible. But what I'm saying is just that, like, the games matter. And ultimately, we don't know because football is one of those sports that until it's played on the field, like, the games themselves have to matter. That's why right. in, the, in the rankings right now, and you're talking about, like, the cherry picking, why, why the committee puts teams in certain spots. There's no question that Oregon being at five is calculated. I agree with you 100%. The committee 100% does that. They put Oregon at five because that'll be, if they beat Washington, like they're projected to win, it'll be the easiest way to make sure that Oregon, which the committee believes, I guarantee you, if you inject truth serum into the whole committee or into the, the chairman of the committee right now, who I don't know who it is, who are the four best teams in your eyes, you would say Oregon, right? In in your in their opinion, right? In their opinion. Which is the, the spirit of the four-team playoff. Yes, but objectively speaking, right, if we're just looking at the numbers, we're just looking at the records and the wins and losses, Florida State is one of the four best teams based off of the the, the objective metrics, numbers, and everything else. And if you go through a full college football season undefeated and win your conference championship, you are and you're a power five school, you deserve to be in the college football playoff as a top four team. You you and yes, you're gonna say deserving. I understand. To me, that proves that you are one of the best four teams. And until you play a team otherwise that proves you wrong, then all right. But right. to this point, they're undefeated. They're 12 and 0. They've right. beaten everybody on their schedule. And they've they so haven't it, even played a cupcake schedule either. They beat Notre Dame, they've beaten Clemson, they've they played good teams. Uh so to conclude, if in this example, if Florida State gets the four seed, goes to play Georgia gets smacked in the mouth that's to you is better than saying before we get to that point you you made it here or uh or we're deciding on your fate here how do we think you'd play against georgia no okay you're not one of the four then we'd rather see oregon play georgia um but what you're saying scotty is you're you're asking for subjectivity you're asking based off of your opinion of a team, right? My opinion is that Oregon is a better football team than Washington, but those two teams played and Washington won. So the objective viewpoint is that Washington's the better football team right now. And we're lucky. We're going to get to see them play on Friday night, right? Florida state right now, I think and believe, and my opinion is that Oregon, Ohio state, Texas are all better football teams than Florida state. But Florida State has won every single game on their on their schedule, and they're playing for a conference championship. And if they go undefeated, win their conference championship, they are objectively one of the four best teams in the college football playoff. Saying it's, what you think, because again, we all thought that TCU wasn't a good football team, wasn't as good as the other boys. They were going to get beat up by Michigan. We all thought that Ohio State was didn't deserve to be in there with a third string quarterback, and we were wrong. And that's why the games matter. Because yeah. at, the, at the end of the day, the games have to matter. If we just say yeah. what we think, then you know it's Madden. It's 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 NCAA football, right? It's it's a video game. 
You know, it's it, this is what I think. But the games it's have fair. to matter, you know? It's fair. I, and I'm going to miss the hell out of this, by the way. Yes. Because, I, I mean, when it agree. goes to 12... When it goes to 12 next year, we're not going to have these kind of debates. I mean, we might have one or two on the fringes between like 10 and and 14 or something. Yeah. But like, dude, it's not going to be this intense. No. And and, and, and what a perfect way for the four team to go out. Yeah. I, the, the four team playoff is dumb and beautiful and awesome and super stupid all at the same time. And that's that's it's kind of why it's perfect for college football. Right. But. When you and and for the people listening right now, Scotty and I went back and forth with novels, texting wise, and poor Vito had was probably just annoyed at us with work with us sending these like full blown you know screenplays oh, to yeah. each you other. Oh yeah, you had to scroll about for our, one message. Yeah, yeah. you know, just going <laughs> back and forth with our thoughts on this. Um, and I ended Walked it with my saying, dog for an hour because of it. I was <laughs> typing while I was <laughs> And like it's Scotty, and like I said the same thing that Scotty just said at the end of it. I was like. By the way, I'm going to miss the hell out of this because it really is the best like fodder and debate that you can have in I think in sports in general. Debating the top four teams in college football for the college football playoff is the best debate you can have as fans hey. of a sport. Yeah. So good for college football for keeping us in business, huh? Yeah, shout out to them. Um, <laughs> but I, I will say you sent the the preview of what the top twelve what the twelve team playoff would look like, and it's gonna oh, look dude. it's gonna be so awesome. Uh, Penn State this, going down to Austin to play? Yeah, it's this week Penn State and next Texas. Week, oh, like, te- like, and that's the thing. It's like this year, George, the gap between Georgia and Ole Miss, like we saw them play earlier this year. Georgia I'm ended up winning you. by like a couple touchdowns. But in years past, Georgia wins that game by like 30. You know, if that's the Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis and, and Stetson Bennett Georgia team versus like this Ole Miss team, it's it's a probably a 21 and a half point spread. Yeah. So if that's the gap between number one and number 11, I mean, some of the matchups there were incredible, like Alabama, oh. Mizzou, uh, Ohio State and Ole Miss, I think was one Tulane and and uh, or was it Tulane and a uh, Tulane in Oregon? Tulane uh, in Oregon, and Oregon yeah. would again. And, and we're going to have years, by the way, where those games suck. But this is a good example of like Penn State's defense is really fucking good. And like Penn State going to Austin would be an oh, unbelievable. That would game. be a game. Oh, yeah. I so, saw that. That was first the first game in the left uh top left corner of that quadrant. And I was like, oh baby, give it to and, me. <laughs> and look, so far with two years in with the transfer portal, like recruiting still matters. But now that like the tail end of the recruiting only cycle, and now that we're kind of getting into the the transfer portal era, like I think we're gonna see some more parody moving forward. I I, I really do, or at least enough parody to make that those early games in the playoffs that much more exciting. And uh, I think it's going to be fucking awesome. I can't For wait. sure. All right. With that being said, let's take a break. We have NFL games to talk about. Potentially the the most anticipated. I mean, everyone thought it was going to be Kansas City and Philly is the most anticipated game of the year. Uh, this one's right up there, though. Eagles Niners on Sunday, as well as all of the other games from Sunday. We'll make our picks and we'll get you guys ready for your Sunday slate right after this. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. Week 13, the NFL starts now, kind of. Uh, we're about an hour and some change away from uh, week 13 kicking off here. Seahawks at Cowboys, Thursday night football. 
Uh, but that is just the uh, the the first the first leg of this NFL week. We got a bunch of really really good games coming up here. Of course, Niners Eagles being the marquee game and uh, the one that I think everyone listening right now is waiting for us to talk about. But we will get there. We're going to give you our picks. Uh, to remind everybody again, last week uh, we did pretty good. Did pretty good as a pod. Uh, Scotty three and zero on your locks, eight and eight on the week. I think. You would take that, right? 500 with your locks or with your it's picks. It's weird, man. And then yeah, perfect it's... on the locks, you'll take that, right? I'm either, I'm either usually really good on the total of picks or and mediocre on the locks or bad, and or I'm really good on the locks and mediocre on yeah. total picks. So. Uh, Vito went Pick your 10... poison. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Vito went 10 and 6 last week overall, uh, but went 2 and 1 with his locks. And then your boy 10 and 6. And a three and oh mark on your lock on my locks. Uh had a good had a good week. Stupidly picked the Jets. It's probably the dumbest thing I did. Well, to be fair, you said Jets question mark in the uh, I did. <laughs> in the, on uh, the spreadsheet. On our spreadsheet, I put in Jets question mark. Uh <laughs> which was an all-timer, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the locks, just to fill everybody in, the locks last week, Scotty, you had Titans minus three and a half over the Panthers. Uh, that hit. You had the Rams. Uh, plus one against the Cardinals that hit easily. And then you had the Ravens minus three and a half against the Chargers that hit uh, Vito had the Bucks plus two and a half against the Colts that did not hit. He had his Broncos minus one and a half that hit. And then he was with you with the Ravens, which hit. And then I had the Steelers minus one and a half over the Bengals. I had the Jaguars minus two over the Texans, which just barely hit but we'll take it anyway. And then I had the Chiefs minus eight and a half, which when they started off <laughs> down 14, nothing, I did not feel great about that pick. And yet that's what Kansas city. That's what Patrick Mahomes does. He, he gets you nervous just to, to pull it out unless he's playing the Eagles. And then in which case he did not, uh, but we move on to week 13 and we got a bunch of great games and we will start off with Thursday night football Seahawks at Cowboys in Jerry world. Cowboys are nine and a half point favorites. Vito will get his picks in. He does not have them in as of now, so we will not be mentioning Vito's picks, but they will be in. Uh, Vito, uh, Vito well, Scotty, what do you what I'm, are you feeling yeah. right now for this game? Yeah, I know you're you're Scotty. Yeah, uh, he's Vito. Vito's out on the West Coast. He's in a whale's vagina in uh, San Diego. <laughs> um, I, I so I told you uh, right before we started. I typed in uh, on our spreadsheet tracking both the. I typed in both the Seahawks and the Cowboys to see how this game would, uh, to see how both of them looked on the spreadsheet. Didn't like either one of them. Nine and a half is a lot of points. Don't like that. However, the Seahawks, without Kenneth Walker, uh, and this is an offensive line problem, have averaged 61 yards a game on the ground. There's a world where they can sort of supplement that with Zach Charbonnet and uh, and the Dallas defense goes just starts licking their chops and and gets blitz heavy, and that's going to be a problem because Geno is pretty good against the blitz, mm-hmm. um, and, and especially moving the pocket and and a world where he can he can light it up late in the scoreboard, kind of like what we saw in the in the Detroit game earlier this year, um, and, and Cincinnati for that matter, uh, and Cleveland too. Um, I think there's a world where that exists. I also think there's a world where the Cowboys are just like. Hey, this is a, a mediocre to middling team. We usually beat the shit out of them uh, this year so far, uh, and and don't play well against teams that are elite. 
I tend to think Seattle's toward that. And I think they're a good team. Don't get me wrong. I still think they're a playoff team, but I think they're, they're trending back toward that, that middling to mediocre range uh, rather than uh, playing what we thought last year was way above average, just based on expectations. So um, I think that's what they are. I think they're, they're going to end up being that, that nine and seven uh, or nine and eight team. Now, I guess uh, that, scrapes by gets the seven seed uh but is a good solid team and i think a lot of that has to do with with how their offensive line has played this year they've been really good when they use the running game um and and like i said 61 yards of games uh since kenneth walker's been out uh and that's that's all due to their offensive line not being able to to move up front so i'm reluctantly will take the cowboys to cover the nine and a half because i see uh in that scenario which I think is more likely them just throwing the shit out of the ball and challenging their their secondary to make plays, uh, play in and play out. Uh, Brandon Cooks is coming on. Uh, C.D. Lamb, we know what he's done over the past few weeks. Uh, and, and and the Cowboys running game has come on uh, in the past couple of weeks as well. So uh, when Dak's efficient, I think he gets the job done through the air. And I think the, the uh, reluctantly, like I said, the Cowboys will be able to cover the nine and a half at home. Yeah, I'm I'm going back and forth on this one. No Kenneth Walker in this game, uh, which is a big loss. So it's going to be a, a, a lot of Zach Charbonnet and DJ Dallas. Um, I I do really want to pick Seattle here because I think if there's one thing we've learned is that Seattle's defense has improved this year from where it was last year, uh, and the offense has taken a step back. If Kenneth Walker's in this game, I do feel like you can attack Dallas on the ground, especially with the injuries at linebacker. Um, and and look, a lot of the the Cowboys numbers are skewed. Uh, I I I hear all of the Cowboys fans who are trying to sit here and say like, well, look, you know, look look, look at our record. And I don't know if did you see the ESPN Power Index rankings, the top ten, like the FPI? No, yeah, I bet they're it, it's in probably it's in the top four. Absolutely insane, dude. It's like it's. Chiefs, Niners, or it might be Niners, Chiefs, Bills, Cow. Or no, it's let me one more time. Niners, Cowboys, Bills, Chiefs, uh, and then Baltimore, the Chargers, then Philly, no. and then <laughs> uh, there's one other team mixed in there. Too. The Chargers might be ranked eighth. I don't. Meaning, meaning to say, the you've numbers, gone too far with the analytics. <laughs> the numbers have absolutely been on like chaos this year because the Cowboys have played terrible teams, and the and the Bills have been this unbelievable offense and the most efficient offense in football, but they keep losing games. Right, so the same thing with the Chargers have been a really good offensive team. The defense has been terrible. This the Cowboys' common opponents. The Cowboys have not beaten a team with a winning record this year. All right. This if they win tonight, this will be the first team they've beaten all year with a winning record. Currently, not at the time that they played, but just current winning record. The Seahawks are on a downslide. Um, I, I Dak has been unbelievable. Like credit where credits due, he's been amazing. But I saw a statistic about uh, Dak historically against teams with winning records versus teams with losing records. Holy, he is the third worst balance between win in, in terms of wins versus uh teams with winning records versus teams with losing records since 1970 
He's amazing against teams with losing records, and he's terrible against teams with winning records. Now, this Seahawks team, yes, they have a winning record. They have not played great, all right? We, we know they haven't played great. But this defense is opportunistic. Devin Witherspoon is really good, right? Uh, Diggs on the outside, really, really good. They, they, they so have – On the other side, though. <laughs> no, for sure. They have really, really good players, guys that I really enjoy. I think Boya Mafi has turned into a legit stud at the edge rushing position. Bobby Wagner still holding it down the middle. The Cowboys have not been a great running team this year so far. Um uh, Tony Pollard only has one game over 100 yards rushing. So the way that the Cowboys offense is operating is through the air. When you force them to run the football, they struggle because they just haven't been able to do great. They also haven't needed to because they've played so many bad teams. I think the Cowboys hit one of these games where they struggle a little bit. I think the Cowboys win. Nine and a half is a lot. I'm going to take the Seahawks to cover the nine and a half. I don't feel great about it. I don't, I, you know, that front four for at least, yeah, the front four for Dallas is really good. And then you mix in Micah Parsons as a hybrid linebacker, safety, defensive end, D tackle, whatever you want to use him at. Uh, and he's obviously a monster. Um, so that front four plus Micah Parsons is going to generate pressure. But the Seahawks offensive line has played really, really well this year. They get Abe Lucas back, so they're fully healthy along their offensive line. I think Seattle ends up keeping this game close. And I think Dallas struggles a little bit. So I'm going to take the Seahawks plus nine and a half. Um, but I expect the Cowboys to win by a touchdown. Uh, it is worth noting PFF does actually think that this spread should be based off of their metrics at about 10 and a half. So uh, if you're if you're looking at the PFF stuff, you would take the Cowboys here. Um, but right now, the Cowboys are nine and a half point favorites. I like Seattle. I'm going to prove PFF wrong here in this one. Uh, all right, up next, okay. Sunday slate, 1 o'clock. We have the Indianapolis Colts, who if the season ended today, would be in the playoffs playing the Tennessee Titans. In Tennessee, both teams, it's amazing, all four of the Titans' wins this season have come at home. The Titans are 4-7, and seven, the Colts are 6-5. and five. Indy is a one-point favorite right now on the road facing the Tennessee Titans. Scotty, where are you, uh, where are you leaning on this one? Dude, you already know. Home game, Titans within three. You can lock the Titans into this one right now. Wow. They're going to upset the Indianapolis Colts. Oh, look, I know Indianapolis is not lost in November. Guess what? We're moving to a new month. It's December. Uh, Indianapolis has been moving the ball. Guess what? Jonathan Taylor's out. I, Zach Moss has been serviceable as a running back, no doubt. But with 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 what they've been trying to build over the past few weeks with Jonathan Taylor in there, getting more reps, getting more involved in the backfield and in the passing game, they're going to have to go back to Gardner Minshew relying on uh, the Michael Pittman Juniors of the world, on the Josh Downses of the world. And I don't think that plays against the team where you're rolling into December and it's tractor Cito season. That offense looked pretty good last week uh, in Tennessee, much better than it had in previous few uh, especially at home. You're giving me the Titans one point at home. I'm taking that all day long. You can lock that in. Wow. Tennessee, four and seven Tennessee is a home dog. I'm telling you. One point as a lock. Um, look, I, I I like what I've seen so far to this point in uh, out of Will Levis. I I don't think, however, that he's yet to be a guy that I'm like worried about. Um Gardner Minshew, get this stat. If you if you take away the Urban Meyer season, 
for uh, Gardner Minshew. He is over 500 as a starter. And I believe if you take out that Urban Meyer season, he start- lost it. He's yeah, started. He he's, too. he's he's started over fifty games, and he's over five hundred. When you take out Urban Meyer, um, I think Gardner Minshew is just a pretty damn good quarterback. Uh, that being said, no Jonathan Taylor in this game is a big loss. Uh, he is doubtful, so he's not necessarily exactly out yet. Uh, DeForest Buckner, Ryan Kelly, two of their best players on opposite sides of the uh, offensive and defensive line are banged up, but they both played exceptionally well. Um, I'm going to go a little conspiracy here. I think Vrabes is done with Tennessee. I think he's done with that job. Traditionally, that is... think he's up New England, huh? I think potentially, potentially, if that job were to open up. But I think he's just tired of it, you know? I, I don't think Vrabel is going to be long for the Tennessee Titans. Not because he's not a good coach, but because that organization has a lot of issues. Uh, and it all so starts with, the... The, with ownership and front office on its way down. And and look, Levis has has shown moments, and D Hop has had you know some big games. The Colts have actually been a pretty solid defensive team the second half of the season, right? They opened the season; they were giving up a ton of points. I don't think they're going to give up a ton of points here. They've officially kind of moved on. They have officially moved on from Shaq Leonard. There's a new iteration there at the linebacker. Oh, yeah, it might be coming to you. Them. Might be coming <laughs> to the Eagles. We'll see. Uh, that back, he's not the player he used to be. Um, Still so wild that he went from Darius Leonard to Shaq Leonard, and it was like, oh wait, who is that? Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's he's he's he obviously was not the same player he was. But the Colts have actually played really, really well defensively over the last uh, like five or six games. I'm going to continue to trust the Colts here. I like Gardner Minshew, uh, and, and look, Zach Moss is not Jonathan Taylor, right? We know that. Um, but I I personally think that this Colts team can outscore Tennessee, right? If Even if you look at their last three games, the last three games, right? 13 points to Carolina, six points to New England, 20 points to the Bucks. You go back a little bit further, and they gave up 37 to Jacksonville, 39 to the uh, Browns, and 38 to the Saints. Since that, they've played a lot better on the defensive side of the ball. But the thing is, is that they can put up points. They really can. And the thing is, is like, I don't think Tennessee's gonna, in a shootout type of mentality. I don't think they have the personnel to be able to do that. I think the Colts put at least 21 to 24 points up on the board, which is enough to cover the one point spread. Give me the Colts as a one point favorite on the road. <clears throat> All right. Next up, we have the Los Angeles Chargers going to New England to play the New England Patriots. The Chargers are five and a half point favorites on the road. This Patriots team is bad. They are horrendous. Um, it. I actually, I, I don't know if Belichick is going to not be the head coach at the end of the year anymore. I would still be surprised if he was. Um, but the way that he is coaching right now is is pure like tank mode. Everyone's ready. You know, basically set Mac Jones up to fail. Um, and the Chargers defense has been bad, but they actually had a bit of a backbone against the Ravens last week. Now, I don't know after that loss if the Chargers feel like their season is done. They're sitting there at, what, four and seven right now. Um, that's that's a tough record, but I will say this. I think the Chargers and Justin Herbert are too good of an offense to, to really sputter out and, and struggle. And I think five and a half points in this game is not as much. It's kind of in the Vegas zone a little bit here. Because I don't think Vegas quite knows exactly what to do. I, I I believe in Justin Herbert. The Patriots defense is not good. 
without Christian Gonzalez, without Matt Judon, there's still some pieces there. Christian Barmore, there's some guys you like, but it's not, it's not like a top tier Patriots defense that we've seen in the past and particularly the secondary. And with that offense being as bad as it is, the Patriots would be lucky if they scored 10 points in this game. So to me, it comes down to, can the, can the chargers get to 17? And I think they do. I think they do pretty easily. So I'm going to take the chargers here minus five and a half on the road. What's the over under in this game? Uh, good question. The over under is 40 and a half. Yeah. 35 of those are going to be the chargers scoring four touchdowns. Give me the chargers as well. Yeah, I, I think we're on the same page there. Yeah, it's uh, just I, I, I'm with you, man. I, I just the way they came out and looked in prime time. How many prime time games have the Chargers had this weekend or this season? By the way, an abhorrent amount. More uh, than they probably more than they probably should. Yeah. Anyway, more, th- more than uh, they probably should. One o'clock game on the East Coast. They're going to be fine. Justin Herbert looked so much better last week, and they got screwed on a couple of calls. So uh, expecting that they'll come out and do more of the same last week. Uh, that they did last week against a really good Ravens team. So uh, I'm going to take Chargers too. All right. Up next, we have the Detroit Lions going to the New Orleans Saints. The Lions are a four and a half point favorite right now. Uh, And I'll tell you what, that is a tasty line in my opinion. Uh, Look at, look at, if we look back (laughs) on the Lions season right now, after each loss that they had, right? They opened the season, they beat the Chiefs by one. They lose to Seattle week two. They win 20 to six against Atlanta in week three. They beat the uh, the the Buccaneers 20-6, to six, lose to Baltimore 38-6, to six, get absolutely shit-pumped, and then they beat the Raiders 26-14. to 14. There was a last fourth-quarter touchdown in that game, I believe, by the Raiders. Uh, but that game was not even near as close uh, as it should have been. Uh, actually, no, the Raiders scored in the third quarter, and then they shut them out in the fourth quarter. Um, but overall, the Lions very comfortably won that game. Uh, anytime this Lions team gets gets a loss, especially Thanksgiving Day, they get an extended by Dan Campbell. You know he wasn't sitting there celebrating Thanksgiving. He was. I hope he did, but chances are his ass was in the uh, in the facility breaking down game tape of the New Orleans Saints. They can feel the pressure. I mean, look the 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 Vikings losing on Monday night helps them with that, uh, especially with it being the Bears who beat them. So it's they kind of cancel each other out a little bit. They get a little bit of breathing room, but they they're fighting for positioning right now because knowing that if you are the, you know, the what would it be? The four seed, which chances are that's going to be an NFC South team. But nonetheless, if you're the fourth seed and you have to play Dallas or Philly as the five seed, you do not want to be in that position. Right. Assuming the Eagles are probably going to win the NFC East. But if they don't and they somehow fall here down the stretch, you still don't want to play the Eagles in the first round of the playoffs. That's a tough draw. If you're the three seed, you're at least comfortable with the fact that you're probably going to play like the Seahawks, the Rams, but that six and seven seed in the NFC is going to be a pretty weak team. You really want to make sure you finish as the two or three seed right now. And with San Francisco playing the way they are, you want to make sure that you are one of those top three seeds in the NFC to at least give yourself a chance to get to the divisional round. I love the Lions in this game. I think they come out swinging. I do not believe in Derek Carr. That red zone offense is atrocious. I think this is a big bounce back game for the Detroit Lions defense. And I love the Lions. I'm going to lock them in here as my first lock of the week. Lions minus four and a half on the road playing the New Orleans Saints. Toyed with it. Toyed with it as a lock, but uh, I will refrain. Um, 
I just think like coming off the game that they played, that was the one of the worst game. I mean, apart from their losses, uh, the rest of their losses that that you rattled off there, that was one of the worst games I've seen. And look, Detroit has a lot to clean up on both ends. Defensively, they need to get better and more efficient. Uh, offensively, Jared Goff needs to enough with the turnovers. He's had two games in a row where he's had either three interceptions or three fumbles. Figure that out. Uh, regression to the mean a little bit in terms of team-wide. That means, all right, maybe we aren't the the 14-2 uh, and two team that everyone thought we were going to be uh, after we got to, like, week, uh, week 11. Um, but also, like, we're we're not like this offense and defense that uh, that turn the ball over on offense and and are really bad efficiently on defense, especially in the red zone. So, um, I think there's there's regression to the mean to be had on both ends, and that means good things for the Lions because they're going to ultimately end up where we thought they would be—a really solid playoff team with a really solid offense and a really solid defense. So, uh, I think the journey starts here against the Saints team that like. I don't I don't have any idea what they are. They're terrible against the spread. Derek Carr stinks. Uh he's got two receivers out and, and we'll see if Chris Olave gets in and plays because he went in the concussion protocol in the middle of the game. Jawan Johnson's banged up. Alvin Kamara is going to be the only thing out there that's going to produce anything for them on offense if Olave is not on the field. So I I I think this is a big bounce back game for the Lions on the road uh in in New Orleans. All right, same page there. Up next, we have Falcons, two-point favorites on the road. We open up with four uh, road dogs here to start off week 13, uh, and another one here. Seven total. Seven total. Um, And uh, one of those being um, the Falcons at the Jets. The Jets, I mean, look, it's still the Tim Boyle show. Uh, Everyone was entranced. I sent the the Schefter tweet about Aaron Rodgers practicing again this week. and how insane Isn't that, that nuts? was. But here's here's the thing, though, and people do need to realize this. They're opening up the window as a part of his rehab. It's not going to be like, hey, they're opening up the window because he might come back. All right. They're opening it up because they want to see if he can, like, right. wear a helmet and throw footballs against the And air. the Vikings did this with Justin Jefferson. Just Correct. You know, over the past three weeks. They opened this window. He missed the window. And then they ended up activating him when he was ready to yeah. come back. They don't uh, have to activate. And, and objectively speaking this is insane that Rogers is even doing this, but just get the idea know, that, right? the, that the jets are going to be, you know, flirting around with this. Uh, this is a fascinating game to me. Uh, and, and look, if you're looking at it, you're like the Falcons and jet was, it's interesting from like a football nerd perspective, right? Because the Falcons, they should be the best team in the NFC South. And this jets defense is still legitimately very, very good. I think this is the type of game where you see Desmond Ritter turn the ball over like three or four times. I think we could even end up seeing Taylor Heineke playing in this game. I think the Falcons offensive line is really going to struggle. But with the skill position guys that the Falcons have, I also kind of expect them to be able to move the ball to some degree, right? They should at least be able to try to establish the run against the Jets. If you're going to try to beat the Jets, at least try to run the ball. They have three good running backs, uh, at least guys who can play running back with Cordell Patterson being the third, but between Tyler Algier and obviously Bijan, you have three guys who are dangerous with the ball in their hand just from the backfield before you even bring up Kyle Pitts and Drake London. On the other side of the ball, the Falcons defense is legitimately very good, and this Jets defense is horrible. So 
coming down to it, do I think the Falcons can at least get a touchdown? Because I think the Falcons' defense could shut the Jets out or at least hold them to to like somewhere between three to seven points. So all they have to do is win by two. I don't love it because that Jets' defense is going to be the best unit on the field. But the Falcons' defense is so much better than the Jets' offense that I think the Falcons will at least be able to do something, find a way to get some kicks in there, a turnover, put some in good field position. I think they're going to do enough. Tim Boyle's not the answer. Give me the Falcons minus two. I'm with you. This is one of those checkbox games, right, where and we go through these and you, you look at each position group and do the checkbox. I'll give you on defense that the Jets will have most of those checkboxes but the Falcons are not that far behind. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like there's debates to be had at position groups there. Um, And then on, on offense, it's literally all Falcons. So yeah, I'm with you. Can they get at least a field goal with, with young way coup? Absolutely. The kicking Korean is my dude. I love that guy. Uh, and, And I think he gets at least a field goal to cover this. I'm with the Falcons all day. All right. We're both on the Falcons. Uh, up next, another game that fascinates me, mainly just because of where the line is at. We have the Cardinals at the Steelers. Steelers are five and a half point favorites. Uh, JJ Watt broke the news today. Zach Ertz is uh, mutually agreed to part ways with the Cardinals, so he will be a free agent. Potential reunion in Philly, maybe? Could be interesting. They need a tight end. With, <laughs> with Goddard being out. I mean, hey, no disrespect to Grant. All right. We we are we are a Calcaterra podcast. I'm talking about depth. depth All right. Here. But adding adding a guy. And like Grant Zach can Ertz, learn from one of the best in the game. So one of, yeah, hey, Zach Ertz has a game winning super a Super Bowl game winning touchdown on his resume, right? He's he's a pro bowler. He's an all pro guy. Zach Ertz, border he's not going to be a Hall of Famer, but borderline could be. He was he's been that good and, and was that good for most of his career. I don't think that'll happen, but uh, there is a chance, of course, that Zach Ertz could make a reunion in Philly if he wants to continue playing. Um, but this Cardinals team with Kyler has shown flashes of like, oh, that's why Kyler Murray was the number one overall pick. And I think part of the the, the public perception of the Cardinals is that when we've seen them since Kyler's been back the last three weeks, it's been for like three or four plays on red zone where it's him throwing the deep ball to Rondale Moore, right? Or hitting Marquise Brown on a nice play or a crazy scramble. So in our minds, we're like, oh, Kyler's back. But when you go back and watch the games, Kyler has struggled, man. He he has not played well. In fact, I want to try to pull up the um, the PFF rankings right now because I, I would imagine that if, if, if we're looking at uh, a guy like, you know, Kyler Murray, who, who again has all of the talent in the world, uh, he has not been great since his return. So, um, I don't know about you, Scotty. Um, but my biggest concern with this is that we're looking at, uh, yeah, right now, Kyler Murray 36th, uh, he, and, and, uh, by PFF 63.2 grade, uh, offensive grade, uh, and a 59.7 passing grade. He has thrown for 719 yards through three games, which is not bad. Two touchdowns, two picks. Um, I, I'm I'm not a believer in Kyler Murray. I never have been. However, you look on the other side, and this line being at five and a half is really sketchy. Out of the seven wins by the Pittsburgh Steelers this year, only three of them would have covered a five and a half point spread. This is like exactly the amount of points that that 
Pittsburgh has typically beaten teams this year, and they, the most they've beaten the team by this year is seven. So this is right in that zone. I think this is a good matchup for uh, Kenny Pickett, right? The offense seems to be better. You can run the ball against the Cardinals. I feel pretty good about taking the Steelers as as like winning by a touchdown, but there's not a ton of wiggle room. So where are you leaning on this? Because I'm I'm still a little undecided. Uh, I really wanted to just uh, to fade you and the public. Uh, look, I, I think the Steelers end up winning this game, um, but I can see where this this can come down to a field goal. I can also see where. They come out in week two of not having Matt Cannon in their offense and look like the Bills did against the Eagles last week in the Bills week two of not having uh, their offensive and coordinator. Dorsey, yeah. So uh, so uh, there, there's arguments to be had on both sides. The, the hook is what's killing me. Uh, I think Kyler is good for a big play against that secondary that it, it, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick is, is not still 100%. Um, he he is he back. is confirmed playing in this game, but you're right. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's play, not hundred percent. Yeah, not hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, I think it comes down to to the fact that this defensive line is going to absolutely dominate the Cardinals' offensive line. As good as 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 Paris Johnson looks as a rookie, he's still there's a rookie. no stop at TJ Watt, dude. Yeah, I mean, this is a game where he could break the record by himself just in this game alone. But then you got to track down Kyler Murray too, which isn't necessarily easy. That's that's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and that's why this game is so hard to does, pick, man. Like, I does Kyler making... make one play? No, I'm going to take the points. I'm going to take the points yeah. for the Cardinals. I'm going to take the points for the Cardinals. Uh, I think the Steelers win. I think they win by a field goal. To me, this is like a uh, a who are you game for the Steelers, right? Because if you're the Steelers, you are a better football team than the Cardinals. Like you just are. You know you are. You are more, more talented. Playful. You're better on both offensive and defensive lines. The quarterback position, like Kyler's better, but honestly, Kyler's made more mistakes I, than Kenny has. You have better and skill do it position. over the middle twice. Do it over the middle in two games in a row for Kenny Pickett, and, yeah. and I'm sold. You're, you're <laughs> getting you're getting uh, Minka Fitzpatrick back, which like Trey McBride has been really good. He's a really good tight end, right? But I don't know if he's going to end up being like a match with, especially with uh, with Minka Fitzpatrick covering him. I don't know if that's really the line that you want to go. Like I, I keep going back and forth, and every time I make an argument for one team, there's like a oh, but what about this? And every time I make an argument for what the other team, I go what about this? And I keep flip flopping. To me, this is a Mike Tomlin "Who are you" game, right? Are you are you a playoff team? You're seven and four. Your record says you're a playoff team. You haven't looked like a playoff team, but are you a playoff team? The offense was moving. Deontay Johnson got a touchdown called back, which would have actually made that offensive performance look more impressive last week. That dude I'm, took off last week, by the way. Have you seen some of the all 22s? Yeah, that fumble play was bad. <laughs> the fumble play was bad. but And that's kind of the, the thing with Deontay Johnson. But when he's on and into it, he's really good. I think the big difference maker here is I think you look at a guy like uh, Pat Fryermuth. The one thing that was glaringly obvious is that they're starting to attack the middle of the field. And I said this on Tuesday's pod. It opens up the running game. I think ultimately the running game will 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 be the big saving grace. I think Kyler makes a couple of mistakes here, uh, and I'm go- I'm going to take the Steelers. I think the Steelers win by ten. I think this is their most impressive win yeah. of the season. I'm going to take the Steelers minus five and a half. Good enough. I'm not, I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> it's hard. I this is one weirdly enough. This is one of the hardest games I've, we've picked so far this year. A Super Bowl rematch. Super Bowl forty three rematch. How about that? Look at you remembering the number. I would not have remembered that. It's Antonio, Antonio Holmes catch. Yeah. yeah. 
Who, James Harrison uh, running back for a thought. Fun, fun fact, the guy who everyone remembers that Sports Illustrated cover, right, of Santonio Holmes making that catch. So the guy who took that picture was uh, a kid that I went to middle school with's father, uh, Aaron Tielmans. Uh, I'm pretty confident he doesn't listen to this pod, so I'll say the kid was a little shit, at least in middle school. Um, but his dad came and shot our like middle school football games. So I have a bunch of like great pictures of me like playing by the same photographer who took the San Antonio Holmes touch Super Bowl touchdown catch, which is a and cool. That's little... what you have in common. <laughs> exactly, and that's that's what we have in common. Me and San Antonio Holmes, <laughs> and it ends there. Uh... <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, Up next, we have the Dolphins at the Commanders. The Dolphins are nine and a half point favorites. The Commanders are reeling, man. They just fired Jack Del Rio. You know, sometimes in football, you fire a coordinator, you fire a coach, and the team jolts, right? Matt Canada gets fired. The offense looks great the next week. Uh, Ken Dorsey was doing a good job, but somebody needed to to take the fall in Buffalo. Uh, And Joe Brady has done a good job as the offense coordinator so far in the last two weeks in Buffalo. And sometimes you fire a defensive coordinator, and it, it just doesn't matter. And I think the biggest problem with the commanders right now is Riverboat Ron, as you put last week, paddleboat Ron. Um, has <laughs> has one, just huh? he it was a good one. He is just he's he's not he's not with this this crew right now. And this commander team, I've seen Sam House sling it. I have. Um, I don't know how much we talked about it. I'm trying to remember on Tuesday's pod, but losing Jalen Phillips for this Dolphins team is a big loss. Uh, and yeah, so part, part of me looks. They were at just his, starting to play really well. Well, yeah, and, and he unit. and and again, another reason why we need to we need to protest MetLife Stadium. Um, but look, this this Dolphins team offensively, this Dolphins season has been odd because in the first half of the season we were talking about them as Super Bowl team, and then they get their shit blown up by the Bills, and then they get their shit blown up by the Eagles, and then they get their shit blown up by the Chiefs, and they have not really yet been still the same, there. Haven't really been the same team yet, and since and yet they're eight and three, right? And yet, in contention for the one seed in the AFC. Absolutely. And that's because no one is grabbing that one seed by the balls. I think there's no question the Dolphins win this game. If if Montez Sweat and Jer- uh, Jace Young were still on the commanders, I'd say there's a good chance they could disrupt that offensive line. I don't think that's happening in this game. Um, but I, I really, really want to take the Dolphins as a lock. Because defensively, like Jalen Phillips has been good, but they do have some depth at the D line and they have other guys who I think can disrupt what is already a really, really bad offensive line for the commanders. Uh, and the secondary has been playing really, really good football as we saw them play against the the Jets last week. Fuck it. I'm taking the Dolphins as my second lock of the week. The Dolphins offensively, I, I feel like they're back. I feel like they've they've kind of taken the punch. Um, I also believe Devin A-Chain is supposed to be back here. So getting him back in that offense, uh, we've seen the commanders have been well, rotation. It is, but like having him back healthy, he's been the most dynamic running back in the NFL when he's played. Uh, so I, I think they're going to be able to get the running game going. And then of course you have to, you have to with, with Tyreek and Jalen Waddle, and, and there's plenty of weapons there for him to dish the ball out to. Uh, I think the dolphins have a quiet, like 14 point win here. 
that we all kind of forget about because it doesn't get shown on red zone a whole lot. So give me the Dolphins minus nine and a half. I think they put the, the commanders to bed early. And the big the big thing for me, and this is the big selling point, is just how good the Dolphins secondary has been since Jalen Ramsey's come back. Uh, we know Holland is really, really good. We've known that, right? But getting a guy like Jalen Ramsey, he's a playmaker. I think he has three interceptions in three games uh, since coming back. And Sam Howell has been good, but that offensive line's pretty bad. And between Christian Wilkins and and Bradley Chubb, even without Jalen Phillips, I still feel like the Dolphins are going to be able to rush the passer well. So give me the Dolphins minus nine and a half and lock it in for my second lock of the week. I like that. I'm with you, man. And, and it boils down to this. Even without Jalen Phillips, who I think played a big part in this, but the Dolphins are top five in sacks and pressures and quarterback hits going against the most sacked quarterback in football. And that's really what it boils down to for me. And then you you add in the explosion on on offense uh, that that the uh, the Dolphins have it. An interesting stat I saw this week: as explosive as that Dolphin Dolphins offense is, you know they take like I think it's their top five in longest uh, amount of time per play. Yeah, from when the from when the play clock starts to. To the end well, because of the play. The, their offense is so explosive, but it's like when they get up to the line, they're doing all this motion pre-snap, yeah, to try to set up what the just for Tua to kind of read what the defense is doing, right? So that way, like the Eagles are very similar. Like the Eagles, so milk, the they milk the clock, and that's it, it's a very smart t- thing because it's like you can snap the ball with twenty seconds left on the game clock, or you can let it run down, give yourself give yourself a chance to to read the defense. And and kind of you don't have to get up to the line really until you got like 15 seconds left if you're going to do the motion. If you're not going to do the motion stuff, then you can get up there with like 10 seconds, five seconds left, which is what the Eagles do typically. Uh, and you can milk that game clock and it keeps the ball, especially if you're playing good offenses. Yeah. Keeps the ball away from them. It's it's kind of smart. It's a good use of time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I just I hadn't connected and the verbiage sound weird, sounded weird when I read it was like this offense is explosive, but yet they take the most time off of the clock. Yeah. And, and bleed it. Like, usually you see that from like Big Ten West, who's just like, we're going to run and run and, or AFC North and run and run and run and bleed the clock dry. No, it's these guys like doing all this like cool pre snap motion, give you different looks, try to figure out what the defense is doing. Oh, do it, check it again uh, three times in the play. And guess what? All of a sudden, over the top, 94 yard touchdown pass. It, it, it is a difference in, in today's NFL. So, uh, I just thought it was an interesting thing to bring up. Anyway, uh, Dolphins defense gets to the quarterback a bunch of times. Sam Howell, good quarterback, gets sacked a bunch of times this week, and the Dolphins defense does their part, and the offense explodes on a uh, on, on a weak secondary this week, and the Dolphins win this game. I'm trying to find the uh, time of possession here on Pro Football Reference. I can't find it, but um, I, w- I would imagine that the the – the Dolphins are pretty high up there, especially if you have an explosive offense. It's a good way to kind of balance that out, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, that- for sure. And again, one of the modern things of the NFL. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, it's uh, not right. just like we're, we're going to grind you into the dirt and then score a touchdown, and you've got like 12 seconds left on the clock. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> more deflating to be like, hey, we're going to run the clock down, and then Tyreek Hill's going to beat you for like a 35-yard touchdown. <laughs> it's incredible, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, up next, Broncos at Texans. Texans are three-and-a-half-point favorites. This is a dangerous game. The Broncos have been the hottest team in the NFL right now, uh, not named the Philadelphia Eagles. 
I love the Texans in this game, and I've really flirted with making them one of my locks of the week. The problem is, is like, if you look back through like what the Texans have done, they're still so young. I don't know exactly what they look like bouncing back. What I do know is that this is kind of like a loser leaves town match in terms of like the winner of this game has their chances of winning uh, and making the postseason is very, very high. Um, You know, they obviously the Texans lost their first game of the season. They lose at Baltimore and then they play Indy. They lose that game in week two. Then they bounce back for that crazy beating of the Jaguars, 37 to 17. They lose to the Falcons, 21-19. They bounce back and beat the, the Saints by a touchdown. They lose to the Card- uh, the Panthers, and then they have that crazy game against the Buccaneers. And to me, like this game feels like it's more likely to be like that game against the Buccaneers. The thing, the big thing that's kind of like, and this this Broncos team, and again, I can say this because Vito's not here. This stretch that the Broncos have been have been on right now kind of reminds me of what the Vikings were like last year, where they've been on the right side of a lot of really, really good bounces. To me, this feels like a regression to the mean kind of a game. If this was, you know, Texans minus three, I mean, their turnover luck has been insane. They're plus 15 in their last five games. In this winning streak that the, the um, Broncos have been on, they're plus 15 in the turnover margin. Like, I, I have a I hard disagree time, with you there, but I'll get I have to a hard, it. I have a hard time seeing that as sustainable. Like at some point, the the turnover luck bounces the other way, even within a season. What the Vikings did last year with that one one score game uh, or the one score game stats was like unprecedented for a team with one score. This is like what normally happens, which is like you'll you'll go on a hot streak, but then eventually you'll get a bounce that's kind of weird and 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 doesn't quite work. Now this game is in Denver, which I think does help the Broncos. Um, but at some point, like the Russell Wilson putting up Taysom Hill passing yardage and passing uh, passing stat lines here of like, you know, 12 of 22 for 106 yards and a touchdown, that's not sustainable against a team in an offense that has been moving the ball as well as it has. Uh, I do think you can run the ball against the Texans, but I will say I think the Texans offensively have too many explosive players. And this Broncos defense has been legitimately very good. I'm not saying that they're lucky, and that's why. I'm just saying the turnover margin typically doesn't stay with the arrow pointing up that much for this long. And so I'm going to bank on the Texans getting a big turnover at some point in this game and the Texans finding a way to win. I'm going to take the Texans minus three and a half here. And I just between these two teams, like who do you think is the better football team? To me, I, I think it's the Texans. I think the Texans have been the better football team all year. I think the Broncos have had a very impressive wins, but the turnover difference has been the leading factor there. C.J. Stroud has protected the football all year while still making big plays. I think they bounced back from the loss last week against Jacksonville, and I think they win this game by a touchdown. So give me the, the uh, Houston Texans. Even if he does turn it over, I love what C.J. Stroud said this week where he was like, Steph Curry doesn't stop shooting. Oh, you said and that a couple, he, yeah, a couple, the, couple weeks ago, yeah, yeah, and he's he's the best shooter in in the entire world, uh, that will probably maybe ever live. So uh, I love that about CJ Stroud. I do. I I think it, you know, the turnover battle makes sense. It's a, it's a fair argument against the Broncos, but I disagree uh, that they're they're like the Vikings last year. The Vikings did it with like Kirk Cousins having to throw the ball late in the game. Because they were down, because they needed to get back into the game, make a big play with Justin Jefferson, do that sort of thing. No, the Broncos are doing it on all sorts of facets. It's Russell Wilson picking the guys up. It's the defense playing better. 
it's it's a, a total football game. It's not just uh, uh, all right, guys. Kirk Cousins got the ball. Uh, there's three and a half minutes left in the game, and it's a one o'clock game. Like you can put that money in the bank. No, it's 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 everybody doing their part. Russell Wilson's not throwing 400 yards like Kirk Cousins did to Justin Jefferson. Russell Wilson's doing it all. He's th- he's throwing 180 yards in the in the passing game. He's running the ball more effectively by himself. He's had a, he had a touchdown last week as well by the goal line. They're doing a lot more different stuff on the line of scrimmage. They're getting Javante Williams involved in the running game and in the passing game, which is I think going to be the difference uh, in this one. I think that the the idea that you can uh, run the ball on the Texans, uh, they they're they still under allow under 100 yards rushing a game, but I think the difference is going to be how you use uh, and balance Samaj P. Ryan as as the runner. We saw that uh, pretty effectively over the the uh, the games that he's played. But how you use Javante Williams both in the run game and as a pass catcher out of the backfield, that's going to be a huge difference. The wide receivers are playing better. The defense is playing way better. Um, and yeah, maybe they they deter C.J. Stroud just enough that they win this game on the road. Uh, that's going to be a tough place to play when the when the Texans are hot. That, that environment is legit scary to walk into in Houston. Um, but I think the, the the Broncos just stick to the to to the way that they've been playing, grind it out. Russell Wilson makes a, a, a big throw here or there, uh, and and they're able to uh to get effective on both sides of the ball. And the Broncos win this game. I really think that. I'm not fully bought into the Broncos. And and again, like I I'm happy for Vito. I'm happy for the turnaround. Um I love the Texans too. And, and look, I've said I, that many times. Yeah, no, we do. We we all love the Texans on this pod. And, and I, I've been very happy to see that Russ has really accepted this role and how Vito kind of broke it down, which is like third down is like your play. You know, I, I just I've seen this Texans team all year just battle and battle and battle in some games they like offensively. I think they're one of the top five offenses in football right now. And they're doing it with a rookie quarterback, Nico Collins, Robert Woods, and Tank Dell, who's another rookie. Like, I I, I don't know. I just, I know this Broncos defense is playing well, but even if they match, you know, Pat Sertan up against, um, you know, uh, Tank Dell or Nico Collins, like this offense hasn't been about like a, hey, we have, you know, A.J. Brown or we have C.D. Lamb and we're just going to keep feeding him the ball like the Cowboys have. Um, it's about, Hey, we have multiple guys out and, and we have a quarterback who's going to go through his progression and throw the ball where it needs to be thrown. And I, I just, I, I feel like this is a big game for the Texans coming off that loss that this is kind of like a, Hey, are you going to be a young team that looks like they're going to make the playoff and then fold? Or are you going to be a team that continues to prove all the doubters wrong? And I think most people right now are on the Broncos. Most people are riding the, 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 the train of what this Broncos team's doing. And I think the Texans are going to continue to show why, they should be a they should be a playoff team this year because they they've been good enough to do it. So um, that's I hate that hook. I hate three and on, a half. On the it's flip a, side, uh, like the Broncos can show you why they're a playoff team this year too. Absolutely, no, I I understand. <laughs> I I totally do, which is why this game is so interesting. I, I think it's the best game of the early slate. Um, but I and also this game is in Houston. I I said earlier that this game was in yeah. Uh, in Denver, uh, my well, I do want to be rude that, and correct no, you, but that's, yeah, that's, that's my fault. Which I actually think I think helps the the Texans in this one as well. All right, the late afternoon slate: Panthers, Bucks. The Bucks are five point favorites right now at home against the Carolina Panthers. Um, 
Uh, this this is a game that I'm just kind of like, who cares, right? I, I the Bucks have been better than we all thought, but I think the regression, the Baker regression, has happened. He still has those plays that keeps his teams in. Um, and I'll say this too, like I I actually think the Bucks Bucks are a better team than uh, four and seven. Uh, I think this is kind of the punishment they've had to play the first place schedule. You know, they finished first in the NFC South last year, and this is kind of the the price you pay for that. Uh, as yeah, Tom Brady gives team. you the deuces, and and, and yeah. you get the first place schedule. Like I think if I think if Tampa Bay is playing the same schedule as the Panthers, I think Tampa Bay is probably you know six and five, five and six. They're right in that playoff market, but they they've had to play some tough teams, and they're going to continue to play tough teams. But this is one where the Bucks have to take care of business. Uh, this is not one that I think the Panthers, after firing Frank Reich, I don't see a big boost coming for this team. Usually, when you see a head coach get fired, you kind of go like, oh. I'm going to take the team who just had fired their head coach. Not today. Uh, I think the Bucs win this game. I think they win comfortably. I'm going to take the Bucs minus five. Dude, you you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, like, the, the fact that Frank Wright got fired does not change how bad this offensive line is, does not change how bad they're protecting Bryce Young, does not change how underdeveloped Bryce Young has been in his first year under center as the, as the Panthers quarterback. This has to be a get-right game for the Bucs. And the division, they know they can win. And they've and got the weapons. They're still in, by the way. They're only a game behind. Still, the... <laughs> of course, they're still in it. It's the NFC South, for God's sakes. But they're much better, like you said, than the 4-7 and seven record they had. Uh, they played really, like, especially down the stretch, they played pretty good against the Niners' defense on the road. Um, like, that, that to me, sticks out. Um, and maybe it's because it's my team. I don't know. But... Look, Baker is banged up. He's going to play, uh, but you're right. The regression has happened. I think they use Rashad White a lot out yeah. of the screen game. That's been super effective this year. Um, and, and and so I think he has a monster day. I think you get a, a touchdown out, out of Mike Evans or, or Chris Godwin as well, um, who has not found the end zone in a long time. And Kate Otten has been, has been really, uh, really good too this year on offense. And that defense – you know, it's Jekyll and Hyde. Like either they're really good or they're really bad. I think they're going up against a, an offense where they can just kind of get right themselves. And I think this is an absolute lock with the Bucks at minus five. I don't want to take an You're NFC South. Uh, don't want to take an NFC South as my lock usually, but I'll do it, man. Like, yeah, Bucks I think it's. I, I think. Seems, I think it's a smart move. pick. I think it's a smart pick. I like it. I, I do. I do. Uh, all right, we're both. I on appreciate the Bucks. it, bud. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I support my guys. Um, and plus, I want to see you get over 500. I want to be able to say as a pod that we're over 500 with our locks. So, I'm, oh god, I'm, I took I'm an AFC South and an NFC South as my first two locks. Hey, sometimes oh, what was the game a couple weeks ago? I took a really ugly, ugly lock and it hit. I forget what it was, but I, I picked the Commanders. <laughs> no, the Commanders one backfired in my face. Uh, all right. Speaking of Jekyll and Hyde, let's talk about the Cleveland Browns. And the Cleveland Browns defense in particular, uh, they are right now three and a half point underdogs in SoFi Stadium against the Los Angeles Rams. What make that make sense? Well, I'll tell you, Joe Flacco is going to be the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. That's why. Oh, baby. Uh, this is going to be a tough one to figure out because the Rams have also been Jekyll and Hyde this year. Uh, the Rams have looked really good against the Seahawks multiple times. Uh, they beat the Seahawks both times. Uh, they are five and six. They are, believe it or not, still very much in the mix to make the playoffs for the NFC. Uh, and 
they've also just been up and down. And and ultimately, look, when, when Matt Stafford faces pressure, he struggles mightily. And you would think they're going up against this great Browns defense. That's going to happen again. Does Joe Flacco have another game where he comes in and just throwing DPI deep balls the entire time? That could happen too. But I also want to talk a little bit a about Super Bowl that way. He sure did. Uh, well, he was amazing in that playoffs. It wasn't just the DPIs. He, I mean, he was connecting on those deep balls. Like we got to put at least credit on Joe. If we're going to credit Nick Foles for the run that he had to the Super Bowl, we got to credit Joe Flacco because Joe Flacco played really, really fucking good. And that was like well, with Ray see, Lewis. Is- Ray Lewis with his bionicle arm. You know that year, like that defense wasn't a prototypical Ravens defense. Like you were, you had aged out Ray Lewis, aged out uh Terrell Suggs like that wasn't quite the the same the, Ravens defense we were accustomed to the difference is that you were on the winning end of that and I was on the losing so take that I wasn't on the winning end of anything oh the Nick Foles Nick won. Foles won I see, I see and I lost okay. to stupid Joe Flacco and the Ravens so there you go and Joe Flacco balled his ass off for five straight games handsome fellow Joe Flacco Delaware yeah um, no doubt but but let's let's talk about this Browns defense because we keep talking about how good this Browns defense is but my God, do their numbers jump back and forth like crazy? All right, just go back to the beginning of the season, especially they the get, secondary too. They, yeah, they gave up three points to the Bengals. They went twenty-four to three. Next week, they lose twenty-six to twenty-two to the Steelers. Next week, they win twenty-seven to three against the Tennessee Titans. Next week, they lose twenty-eight to three to the Baltimore Ravens. Now, again, the Ravens game was, uh, I believe, was DTR's first start, and that game was 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 really bad. Uh, then they somehow beat the Niners 19 to 17. Then they somehow beat the Colts, but they gave up 38 points to the Colts in that game. Then they lose to Seattle 24 to 20. Then they beat Arizona 27 nothing. Then they beat Baltimore, but they gave up 31 points to the Ravens. One of those was a pick six, but still. Uh, then they beat Pittsburgh 13 to 10. And then they lose to Denver and give up 29 points to Russell Wilson and the Broncos. This defense on paper and in their flashy moments, looks as good as the Jets' defense. It's not as good as the Jets' defense, but it is really, really good. So the question is, do we flip a coin and just figure out which version of the uh, Cleveland Browns are we going to find this weekend? Because if it's the version where Miles Garrett, who is playing, which is good news, but is banged up, is going to be playing in this game, and they're able to, to disrupt Matt Stafford, and all of a sudden the Rams look like the Rams team that was losing to, to bad teams like they were earlier in the season – then I do think the defense and Joe Flacco has enough left in the arm to be able to do something about it. Or is it going to be the other way around where they give up way too many points? The one way you can attack this Cleveland defense is on the ground. And Kyron Williams has been really, really good. Uh, And then that opens up the play action Uh, stuff that Stafford loves to roll out and hit those deep shots to Cooper cup and Puka Nakua. This is a tough game to figure out. And at three and a half, I hate that line. Where are you going with this Scotty? I'm going Browns. I'm more of a believer in Joe Flacco than I am in Matt Stafford right now. That wow, because and, and I'll tell you why because That's they old statement because the way that they used yeah they both won Super Bowls the way that they used sure the Rams used the running game to to success is when they is when they have to use it right it's not oh the passing game is flourishing let's uh, let's ground and pound. And get Kyle in the ball so so that he can run for 140 million yards and uh and catch 75 yards out of the backfield and get two touchdowns. Um it's not that. It's it's forced. It's like we gotta get the ball to Puka or Cooper. We gotta get the ball to Puka or Cooper. 
We got to get the ball to Puka or Cooper. That's not working. Let's run the ball. Kyron has success. Let's get the ball to Cooper or Puka. Let's get – and it doesn't work, right? It doesn't work until you give the ball to Kyron. And I don't believe that they are a run-first team. I believe that they still are a pass-first team, the, the Los Angeles Rams. And I think the, the Cleveland defense does just enough in the secondary to, to shut them down. I believe that Miles Garrett disrupts the offensive line for the Rams, who has been regressing all season long. We we I thought they were one of they played way over expectation through even I think probably six or seven weeks of the season. They have been downhill since then. Uh, so I think Miles Garrett and that defensive line can kind of get after it. I think Joe Flacco just makes the easy plays, right? You know, he's got Amari Cooper, he's got Elijah Moore in the slot, who I think could have a big game. Uh, with Aaron Donald getting after it. But I think that offensive line is going to be able to protect him enough in Cleveland that Joe Flacco has a pretty pretty solid day and uh, and ends up winning by a, by a touchdown in, in, in L.A. The question is, what version of Flacco do we see? Because when Flacco started for the Jets, he had multiple games where he threw for over 300 yards, and he had games where he threw for less than 100 yards. So what version of Flacco are we going to see in this game? I, I don't know, but I, I do – I disagree with you on that McVeigh very much is a uh, he wants to run the football because just like him, anyone who comes in that Shanahan tree, McDaniel, you know, McVeigh, they want to run the football first and their teams play better when they run the football first. Everything else opens up when they're able to run the football. In this game, you're going to have to run the football and be able to establish something it in, order, like in order to open everything else up and when they've been able to run the football successfully those are the games that they've been able to win the games against the Seahawks right the Seahawks are not a great run defensive team they were able to run the ball against the Seahawks and that opens everything up in the passing game the games against the Eagles right where it's like hey you're playing the Eagles Eagles the best run defense in football you're not going to be able to you know run the football and all of a sudden then everything becomes completely dependent on Cooper and Puka Nakua so it's like they the the Sean McVay st- stereotype coach that's all under that McVay or the Shanahan tree wants to run the football. Whether or not they're able to ultimately decides whether or not Stafford is throwing the ball 40 times in a game or not. My biggest concern is can the offensive line hold up well enough against the Browns right. to, to, to put up at least a few scores. I think Flacco is going to struggle. I think people are going to talk themselves into Flacco looking good in this game. I think he's going to look very bad. There's a reason he was not even on a practice squad up until a week ago. Uh, And I'm going to take the Rams minus three and a half. I, I, again, I wish it was minus three. I hate that I'm taking two teams at minus three and a half because this game could very easily come down to a field goal, but. That's the reason I I think it is. I, I, you know, the Rams could very easily win. I think it's a field goal. Um, and and Dustin Hopkins has been lights out this year in those situations. So the the hook, like if it were three, I I, I would be saying Rams all day because I think they're be going to be able to potentially run the ball down the the Browns' throat. But at three and a half, I'm going to take take the Browns and the points because I like the the field goal situation makes that big of a difference in this game. You're right. I I will say the games in which Kyron Williams has been healthy, uh, and the primary back. Started in week four against Indy. They won that game 29-23. They lose to Philly 23-14. They beat Arizona 26-9. And then Kyron Williams is out. Kyron Williams comes back. They beat Seattle. They beat Arizona. Um, 
I understand two of those wins come came against the Cardinals. Like I'm I'm not I'm not dumb. I understand the card beating the Cardinals twice is not necessarily something you want to, you know, raise a banner about. But I do think Kyron Williams is the first running back that fits that Sean McVay running scheme in a in a long time. Um, even during the Daryl Henderson, you know, stint and uh who was the other running back that they had before before Cam Akers, the one they won the Super Bowl with? Um I'm blanking on his name. Well, Cam uh, was the one they won the oh well but he was uh, hurt. Todd Gurley. Well, no, it was, it was, well, yeah, Todd Gurley. Cause I, I look, I don't think Kyron Williams is the next Todd Gurley. I'm not going to say that they're similar in style. Kyron Williams is actually a little bit more of a speedster can, can do a little bit in the passing game. Um, but I think Kyron Williams is a big difference maker for this team. He's been really good in the games. He's been healthy. So I'm, I'm going to roll with the, the Rams here. I don't like it, but I'm going to take the Rams. I hate that line at three and a half. All right. Me too. It's, it's time. It's time. The Philadelphia Eagles are hosting the San Francisco 49ers this week in a football game played at Lincoln Financial Field at 425 p.m. Eastern time. And the San Francisco 49ers are three-point favorites coming into this game. I hate it. <laughs> I hate the fact that we have to go into Philadelphia and our favorites. Why would you – fuck you, Vegas, for giving the Eagles bullets and board material. Here's what I'm going to say, all right? I'm going to do my fan thing first, and then I'm going to get into my analysis of the game. Eagles, and I don't do this a ton on the pod for the record. I, I'm normally pretty pretty unbiased, and I usually rip my own team harder than, than most people, all right? I'm, I'm usually very straight up, and I think people who listen to this pod would agree with me. Fuck your crybaby, diva, bullshit, fucking Debo Samuel running his goddamn mouth, stupid star players. They are such crybaby losers your whole team fred warner every single fucking crybaby loser on that fucking team crying about the nfc championship game needs to shut the fuck up and play football because the fucking niners are a damn good football team they're the best team in the nfl in my opinion and the the reason they lost those three games is because they weren't healthy when their team is healthy they're the best fucking football team in the league end of story the best football team in the world end of story i am so sick of debo samuel who can't stay on the goddamn field running his mouth acting like he's the second coming of fucking randy moss because yes we knocked out y'all's quarterback because kyle shanahan thought shanahan thought he could put a backup tight end on hassan reddick it is bullshit i understand that game sucked but the niners fans not you but the Niners fans and Debo hey, and, whoa, all, hey, and Fred Warner, I said my not people you. here. I, hey, I'm shitting on your people right now. All right. The amount of crying and straight up loser whiner talk that I've heard from Niners fans since that NFC championship game is nauseating. I'm an Eagles fan. I'm telling you the Niners are the better football team right now. No question about it. The Eagles keep finding ways to win football games. I love it. It's been unbelievable. It's taking years off my life. The Niners are a good football team. Shut the fuck up. You guys act like you got like you were like the the Saints who had that terrible call against the Rams and and, and the playoffs a couple of years ago, the Phantom DPI call. Like that's not what this is. All right. Kyle Shanahan fucked you guys. We destroyed you guys at the line of scrimmage. That was the end of the fucking game. That's what happened. I'm sorry it worked out that way. I was disappointed as a football fan that we didn't have a better turnout. As an Eagles game, it was as an Eagles fan, it was awesome. But I'm so tired. Of Debo Samuel 
taking unnecessary shots at someone like James Bradbury, who doesn't talk, who last week was the number one graded corner in the NFL, calling him trash for no fucking reason other than the fact that y'all's coach tried to block one of the best edge rushers in football with a backup tight end, and it knocked your quarterback out of the game. Shut your mouth. You have a chance to go out on the field and play a fucking football game. Drop this drama queen, woe is us bullshit. If you're this good of a team, back it up on the field and don't say a fucking word, and let's see what you're about. Because there's a very good chance you go in and win this game this week. But I'm so sick of fucking Debo Samuel, who misses half the season every single year, talking about fucking James Bradbury's trash. What the fuck has James Bradbury done to anybody? He owned up to a a mistake that he could have easily blown away at the Super Bowl, but he took it like a fucking man because he's a fucking legit stud and a good person. And Debo Samuel can't stay on the goddamn field. Leave your talk into the field. That's what the Eagles do. And that's why I love this team. Eagles fans talk for the Eagles. Eagles fans are obnoxious. I know that I know we are. All right. Shut the fuck up, Debo. If you lose this game, it's because you are not you, you're giving the Eagles reasons to hate you guys. The Eagles beat you last year. I'm sorry that you wanted to go bitch to the NFL about having an emergency quarterback rule and got a league ch- rule changed because you couldn't block a, an, an awesome defensive line. But this this is football, dude. This is football. Injuries happen. It sucks. But all of this, the Eagles got lucky. The Eagles got lucky. The Eagles got lucky. Shut up. Prove it on the field. Prove it on the field. I'm so tired. I like, I love Kittle, right? I love Christian McCaffrey. I've become a Brock Purdy fan. I like this Niners team. I like Trent Williams other than when he threw a hissy fit and tried to cheap shot players at the end of the NFC Championship game last year, which was scumbag behavior, and he knows it. But no one's going to say anything because he's the scariest motherfucker in the NFL. No, but if you asked him now, he'd probably be like, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> if you if you got him in an honest moment, absolutely he would say that was a scumbag move, and he fucking knew it. But he was frustrated. I understand the frustration. Don't turn frustration into negative action. Save it for the football field. You're going to get your chance on Sunday. Shut the fuck up. Sorry, rant over. No, I, Jeff, I'm with you. As a 49ers fan, I'm with you. I'm tired of it. Like... I'm t- and maybe this is because of of you know and you 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 understand su- sustained success over the past few years like I I don't need to hear about why you think that things didn't go your way on the field stop whining about it. you have an opportunity like you said to go out on Sunday and change it so go do it this year in the year that matters instead of talking about what happened in the past so I'm with you man a hundred percent. Hundred percent, I'm with you. I'm uh, glad on that, and that's because you're a rational and smart person, Scotty. And again, putting on the analyst hat here because that was just venting. Because I was like, "Why are you taking strays at James Bradbury?" It's why, why it's you unnecessary. Taking, it's so unnecessary. It makes you look like a fucking coward. It makes you look like especially a loser. in a game that they didn't even play. Like, yeah, he was watching it on TV. <laughs> like, I, I just. In, in any sport, if you're bl- if you're blaming anything on the refs or the rules or injuries or whatever, that's a part of sports. I'm it's, sorry. It's what Russell Rusbrick does in the NBA is really yeah. what that is. <laughs> like when Carson Wentz tore his ACL the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I, I was gutted. I was gutted, right? And no question, if the Eagles didn't go on to win the Super Bowl that year or they get knocked down the first round against the Falcons, I'd be like, damn, the Eagles probably had a legitimate shot to win the Super Bowl that year, but Carson got knocked out. And that sucked, you know, 
I wouldn't spend the next year being like, well, because of because of the the Rams tearing Carson Wentz's ACL, the Eagles should have been the actual Super Bowl champs. Like, shut the fuck up. It's it's you you sound like such losers when you talk that way. And Depot, you're a really good fucking football player, dude. Prove it on the fucking field. Like, stay healthy first, and then prove it on the fucking field. Like, I, I'm so sick of that. Like, I love Ayuk. Yeah. I love Kittle. I love Trent Williams. I love CMC. I like Kyle Shanahan. I like all those guys. The the, the Fred Warner and, and Debo whining and crying is so fucking soft. It drives me up a fucking wall. Well, And the worst part is that those, those are two talented players who could literally drastically affect the game. No question. By themselves. They're stud. Right? Fred Warner is the best linebacker in football. So, like, so just go out and do it. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm 100 with you. What that tells me talk. is that the Eagles are in their the... head. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, and that's where the the Eagles, if we can transition to the football field, that's where the yes. Eagles tend to do well. Right. Yes. You you want to hate on us? Fine. Jalen will go out and prove it. You want to say that you've played 50. Uh, minutes of horseshit football, fine. We'll go out and play 12 of lights out football and go win an overtime game against the Bills. Uh, you want to tell us that uh, you, you're you're upset about how the NFC championship went uh, and that uh, you, you have a chance for redemption but uh, this week, but you're going to focus on um, focus on what happened uh, you know almost 17 weeks ago. Fine. I don't care. This is where the Eagles thrive, where it's like, <laughs> fuck all the haters. Like, I don't care. Like, yeah. we're just going to go out and ball, do our thing. Who cares? If you're focused in the fourth quarter, in the last two minutes of the game, on how your your quarterback was was eliminated from the game last year, and that's how you didn't win, <laughs> even better for us, because that just gives us more of an opportunity as the Eagles to go down the, down the field and win the ball game. Yeah. I, I hated it this week. I hated all the chatter this week. It was so fucking stupid. So media driven too, by the way. By the by the Bay Area media. They were like, Well, what do you think about uh the fact that um you're playing going into Philadelphia for the first time since uh the NFC championship? And and it was it was literally no joke. Like you you have to ask that question, but it's it's the it's the local media guys who side with the Debo Samuels 100%. And, and the Fred Warners. And they'll like Fred Warner being like, I'm never going to bring my wife to Philadelphia again. Like, can't can't believe I, mean, I get, anyway. yeah. get over like, it. I'm sorry. How many, how many how many dollars? How many like multiple fights have there been in, in San Francisco Stadium this year versus the Eagles? Hasn't been a single one in Philly. There's been multiple in San Francisco. So like if we're talking about actual danger, when like your wife's getting a an escort up to a box and, and she's pretty like, she's fine. All right, bud. She's fine. Like, shut the yeah. fuck up. Like I get you uh, want to dude, protect I'm, your wife. That's cool. I get it. But like, come on, dude. Like you, I'm you're, with you. A hundred percent. So dude. dramatic I'm, about I'm, it. I'm so with you, man. I'm so with you. I haven't talked an ounce of smack this week. Usually, you know, in the past I have, but this week well, I have not talked an ounce of smack to you. What's funny is like you and I are any both of my Philly friends because nothing. we're both like, terrified. It's another we're, game. <laughs> we're both we're both terrified of the outcome of this game. Objectively, like that's I'm, true. <laughs> I am terrified of the Niners because the Niners Very are fucking true. the Niners are fucking awesome. You're I'm terrified equally of the Eagles as terrified as the Philly <laughs> because the Eagles are this zombie team that never dies and you can't quit and they 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 have their pulse is zero like they're as high above like one notch above zero that you could possibly be because Jalen Hurts is the coldest motherfucker in the NFL and like that no game feels out to them. 
But on the football field, the Niners are undefeated with, with healthy Trent Williams and a healthy Debo, right? And everything Kyle Shanahan's coming up. The, the, to me, like as an Eagles fan, what's giving me hope is like the Niners want this game so bad and Kyle Shanahan wants this game so bad. They're going to overthink things. Like that's what I'm hoping will happen is they, which is like, you don't have that's to. That's a very Kyle move. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you don't have to like the Eagles defensive line is really good. I think your offensive line is actually a, a little bit better this year than it was last year. You have Trent Williams on the other side. The Eagles' best pass rusher rushes from the left, so he's not going to be matched up against Trent Williams. Still have Josh Sweat, which is not an easy draw. Yeah, but across the board, yeah, and then Reddick on the other side. <laughs> yeah, and Reddick is the one that you're worried about, right? And I guarantee you there's going to be guys all over Reddick. But the biggest difference from last year to this year is that Brock Purdy is seeing the field better. And I was listening to Mina Kimes' podcast earlier, about, earlier today, and she was talking about those anticipation throws, that knowing how to navigate the pocket, like – Things that like the part of the reason he got that sack against I, and got knocked out of the game was because he fucked up managing the pocket. If he steps up instead of to the right, he doesn't get knocked out of that game and the whole game could have gone completely differently. Right. And, and there's a very, very good chance that the Niners come in and win this game outright and, and, and frankly could win it pretty easily because there there is absolutely the narrative. I can see it on Monday morning. See, we told you the Eagles were frauds. We told you they were fraudulent. Like the Niners just came in and beat them by two touchdowns in their own place. You know, I, I don't think that's going to happen because I think the Eagles are, are too good of a football team to lose that badly. I think they'll always find a way to battle back. But if the Eagles come out slow in the first half, like they have up for a large part of this season, and they're going to try to catch up to a team that has McCaffrey and Kittle and Ayuk and Debo and, and, and all of these weapons across the board – that's not a place you want to be, man. It's just not. And the Eagles are banged up. Zach Cunningham likely out of this game. Lane Johnson's questionable. It seems like he's going to play, but we don't know yet. There is a chance that Dallas Goddard returns in this game. He is listed as questionable. So a return of Dallas Goddard absolutely helps the Eagles, but it's also like how how healthy is Dallas Goddard coming off of a fractured forearm? I, to me, like all all signs point to the Niners winning this football game just on the field. But that's, again, the thing we've talked about with this Eagles team, which is like all points, all signs might point one way and the Eagles like still find a way to win games improbably. And to me, I'm looking at this game. If like the Eagles say the Eagles were the the uh, the Titans, right? The Titans are 10 and one, right? Or, or, or pick another team that, you know, the, the Bills are 10 and one or whatever. And they've skirted by on these really close wins. And they have a team like the Niners coming to town. I absolutely, I think if it was any other, any team that's probably not Kansas City, I would pick the Niners to win the game and I would pick them to cover. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick the Niners. I think the Niners win this game. I think they win it by a touchdown. It's not an emotional hedge, Scotty. I'm, 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 I, this is not Eagles fan (laughs) Jeff speaking. This is like what I genuinely think. I think if it was any other team that was 10 and one and they had this Niners team coming to town, I, I just, the way the Eagles have won these games, the fact the Eagles have not put a full game together, this is not a team in the Niners that you feel like you're going to be able to put a full game together against. No. And I just, I have a hard time seeing, I, I feel like how I felt in the, the NFC Championship game, but way worse because Purdy's been a lot better than he was during that stretch his rookie year. So I I, I just, I, I know Eagles fans are going to hate me and, and I understand. I want the Eagles to win 
But I'm I'm being honest, like it's kind of it reminds me of like when the Eagles played the Dolphins, like my wholehearted, honest opinion was I thought the Dolphins were going to rip up the Eagles secondary. They didn't. The Eagles showed up in a big time moment when they needed it. I'm hoping and we so see what would this... what would make you think differently now? What I what I think differently is I think the Eagles are going to really struggle over the middle of the field because they're they're starting Christian Ellis, you... first first career start at linebacker, and Nicholas Morrow, who's had like five career starts at linebacker. So the, the linebacker you... position is is wide open. The Eagles are the worst defensive team against tight ends in the NFL. George Kittle, last time I checked, is pretty fucking good at tight end. The secondary yeah, had like 50 you, yards last week. If they were like if they were that. if they were like the Browns when the Browns played the uh played the Niners where the Browns played primarily man coverage the entire time, I would say all right, we have a chance. I don't think the Eagles corners and secondaries are is good enough to play pure man to man against those guys. And if they do, then you're leaving Debo and 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 Ayuk on islands going up or going up against islands and Bradbury and Slay, which opens everything up over the middle. It means you pretty much have to play man to man with Bayard against Kittle, and then McCaffrey's left unaccounted for with a rookie a second year two second year linebackers who both of which combined have less than six career starts. Like the Eagles' Oof. line, I think will play well. And the one way that they they can I think affect this game defensively is if they can get pressure onto Purdy and force him into turnovers. If that happens, then the Eagles win the game. But ultimately, this game's going to come down to who makes the mistakes. Because I think both offenses will be able to move the ball pretty well. But if you're telling me which defense do you trust more right now, I absolutely trust the Niners' defense. Since the bye, since that three-game skid that the Niners had, the Niners have turned back into the defense that we're familiar with them being. And and I don't want to necessarily go up against that. And the Eagles have an amazing offensive line, but the Niners have an incredible defensive line. I think this game's going to be really, that's, really tight. That's the battle I'm really looking forward to. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be absolutely awesome. But again, this game will come down to who makes the mistakes. And so far, Jalen has turned the ball over more than Brock Purdy this year. Jalen will make bigger plays, and I think we'll keep them into it. I, I just, I think the Niners, I've been saying it for the last three weeks. I think the Niners are, the, I've said it since the beginning of the season. I think the Niners are the best team in the NFL. And I think they continue to do that. I had the Niners making the Super Bowl and losing to, San, to Cincinnati. Like, I, I think the Niners are that good. And and I think they win the game. I think they cover. I do too, by a touchdown. Not an emotional hedge by you at all. I mean, I'm, please. I, dude, I'm being honest. I've never, like, I the only time I think I made an mm-hmm. emotional hedge, which even still, no, I picked the Eagles to win the Super Bowl. So I, I, I'm telling you, dude, like, I, I, this is not an emotional hedge. This is me being a hundred percent honest. We're, we're running off the field, throwing our hands in the air in victory in this one. The Niners are going to run the ball really, really effectively. The Niners going to play defense really, really effectively. You're going to have to shut down AJ Brown. It's going to be tough with a rookie safety and, uh, and, and Fred Warner trying to bracket him. Devontae could probably get loose, but like limit that shit. And you're good because otherwise like that, that was the way that the, the Eagles got back into the game against the, the bills. Now, they right? got back and they got back in the game running the football. They got back in which the game. It's going to be much tougher middle. against the Niners than it will be against the bills, which I, I do agree with, but I, I think the Eagles offense is actually going to be okay in this game. I don't think they're going to be great. I, I really, the over right now is at 47 and a half. I love the over in this game. I'm hammering that. Yeah. I, I, cause I think right now, 
I think both offenses are going to are going to be able to move the ball. I to me this finishes as like a 30 to 24 type game and we Jeff. see I I just think the Niners find a way to get in the end zone a couple times and I think Jalen Jalen's buddy. turned the ball over this year, man. I'm just buddy. Just know I love you, man. That's all. I love you too. We love each other, right? And it's no matter, no matter what, what happens in this no game. matter what, I also think there's a very good chance we see this rematch in the postseason. I but, hope so. But I do. I, Hopefully it's I, in San Francisco and not Philadelphia. <laughs> the number one thing that I think can bite the Niners in the ass is if the Niners come in too juiced, it's, make make dumb it, penalties, get too it's heated. It's that and like Kyle getting fouls. too cute. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Kyle overthinking it and this team being so intense because they want this game that, you know, there's late hits out of bounds. There's personal fouls, ways to extend the drive. I think that's mm-hmm. really the one thing that can keep the Eagles in this game. And I can totally see that happening. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's totally a really, I think it's an awesome game though. I think it's going to be a back and forth. I think it's gonna be a really, really good game. Um, but I, 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 so. I do, I do think the Niners come out on top. I think they cover the three. All right. Two more games. Let's get to it. Uh, Cause we're, we're running very long on this podcast. Uh, all right, Chiefs, Packers. Uh, right now, the Chiefs are minus six against the Packers. This line opened, I believe, at Chiefs minus seven or eight and a half, and it's worked all the way down to minus six. I think that I think the Chiefs have figured it out. I think this is this is the start of the turn. <laughs> I already saw you put it in. I'm with you. This is my third lock of the week. Chiefs minus six. <laughs> um, yeah, the line it, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, the Packers are starting to play good football, right? They're coming off of the Thanksgiving win. They get a couple extra days. You're thinking, all right, this is where like the Packers might. The Chiefs' defense is really, really good still, and I think they're gonna they're gonna make uh, Jordan Love struggle. I feel like the Chiefs offensively after that loss in Philly, they're like, all right, no more fucking around. We're figuring this shit out. Right. And on on Rashid, both sides, Rashid Rice is going to continue to be really, really good. Um, and and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Chiefs here as well, and that's my that's my second lock. Or my third lock of the week. So we're both on the Chiefs here. My third lock too. Uh, and it's on both sides. It's it's Mahomes figuring it out with his receivers, uh, including Kelsey. And I don't think that the uh, the Packers have enough to to be able to bracket Kelsey and limit him like other teams have with the linebacker position. Uh, and then, you know, on defense, like the Chiefs have had a couple of really bad defensive games in a row. Like decent but not not like the the world beaters that we've we saw through the first like 9 10 weeks of the season. Yeah. Right. So uh this this needs to be and and again this is like a spags defense that like usually starts slow and then by the end of the season we're like oh shit that's a really good defense. It was the reverse this year where it was like that's a really fucking good defense. Yeah. And all of a sudden they've turned into like mediocre and so I think this is kind of where both sides turn it on and uh and, and especially with you know the the Bengals are kind of out of it. You know the Broncos are making a charge. You know the Dolphins are still in it. You know the how good the Ravens are. Um, so yeah, this this to me is where where uh, Mahomes and Andy Reid galvanize the entire team and are like, yep, that's it. This is our turning point in the uh, in the DVD. Uh, real quick, yeah, real quick, I want to let everybody know Vito has entered the chat, and by entering the chat, I mean he is. Entering his picks in right now into our spreadsheet. Uh, so far, he just said com- go Niners. By the way, that was interesting. Uh, I, I think he's just being supportive. Um, <laughs> the uh, his comments so far. Are, Wait, is Joe Flacco starting? Holy shit! Yeah, Flacco. Uh, and then he that was I, me. I oh, said, that yeah, was Flacco. you. Oh, okay. He said, "Holy <laughs> shit!" 
Uh, and then he responded after that by saying, I'm Shefty in the sky. So uh, Vito <laughs> is 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 currently filling out this his form and his picks from the airplane. And that's why we love Vito. Because I was going to say, I was like, dude, if he's here right now, get him on for the college picks. But no. Uh, all right. Last NFL game. Uh, Bengals at Jags. Jags are eight and a half point favorites. I think that line's too low. Jacksonville wins the game minus eight and a half. I think that's a, I think that's an easy one. Flirted with making this my last lock, but uh, I like the Chiefs minus six a little bit more. So yeah, we're all on the Jags. Vito's on the Jags. Uh, anything yeah, the, you want to add to that? No, the Bengals defense could turn it around. I could see where they cover this game with their defense that has been abysmal over the last few weeks um, against an offense that's still like. Doesn't look great. Trevor Lawrence is going to need to throw a lot, but like, you know, if he does, then I, I and the the Bengals look like the same Bengals. I think it's the same old song, and Lawrence throws for three fifty plus and a couple of touchdowns, yeah. uh, like he did last week. Uh, real quick, let's go through Vito's picks right now. Uh, he has the Cowboys. He has the Colts as a lock, going head to head, a lock off between you and uh, oh, Vito, no. and it's a it's it's there's no hook here either. So for all we know, the Colts are going to win by one, and you both <laughs> you split it. Uh, Wouldn't that the, suck? That would be the push of the week. <laughs> yeah, uh, he has the Chargers. Uh, he has the Lions as a lock with me. He goes Jets, Steelers, Dolphins, Broncos. Then he has the Bucks as his third lock. Browns. I hate this. We have Eagles, two locks together. Eagles. I like that. And uh, then he has the Chiefs and Jags. Uh, all right, let's let's wrap this up. Rapid fire here. Conference championship weekend. We're doing the Power Five schools. We'll start off here with number five Oregon going uh, again. They're all neutral site, but uh, as the away team, technically ten point favorites against Washington. Where do you like uh, here, Scotty? Oregon like I thought, is one of the top four teams in the country. But at this point, it's just fodder for Washington. You won the conference. You beat Oregon already. You have the best record in the conference, and now you're getting snubbed with a double-digit dog in the conference championship game? Forget it, man. If I'm if I'm uh, Caleb DeBoer, I'm telling these guys, why bother getting on the plane? Let's just, let's just stay home and fire them the fuck up to win this game. And make the college football playoff. I'm taking Washington on the points. On this, I, I really want to. I want Washington to win this game because I love the story. I love Michael Penix. Oregon's the second best team in college football. I think Oregon wipes the floor with them. I think they're pissed. I think they're hungry. I think they hate the fact that how that first game goes. Every year we have games that we're really excited for in the in the uh, conference championships rematches, and uh, every year there's a couple that are blowouts. This is the blowout right now. Oregon wins handily punches their ticket to the college football playoff Oregon minus 10. Uh, all right. Up next Oklahoma state against Texas. Texas is a 15 and a half point uh, favorite. By the way, Vito chimes in on the Oregon, Washington. This fucking line is insane. It is Vito. Oregon's going to take the ducks. Cover anyway. that, that's what that means. <laughs> I think so. Maybe could be either way though. That's what you love about college football. Uh, all right. Uh, Oklahoma State, Texas. Texas a 15 and a half point favorite. Scotty, where are you going? Give me the pokes. This is the last shot to they beat Oklahoma already, and now they're in the con that that got them into the conference championship against Texas. Both Oklahoma and Texas leaving the conference. Give me the pokes to give the Big 12 the redemption story that they deserve to cover the 15 and a half. Uh, interesting. All right. Um, I'm with you. I do. I do. Th I, I got to pull up. I forgot how this game went earlier this year. Um, 
I think Texas won pretty handily. Um, oh, actually, uh, no, they haven't played yet this year. That's right. Okay, that makes more sense. So I was like, why can't I remember when these teams played earlier? Um, yeah, I, I feel like this is a stand-up for the Big 12 kind of moment, and Oklahoma State has played up and down all year, um, but they can play with anybody in the country, and they can certainly play with Texas. 15 and a half is a lot. The thing is, too, is it's like Oklahoma State, you might get a power, you might get a, a, a New Year's Day bowl, right? You get a New Year's Six bowl. Uh, that's kind of like the best possible outcome for you at this point. Um, so to me, I'm like, this is your Super Bowl. Winning the conference, knocking off Texas, representing the full Big 12 before Texas goes. This is your time. I do think Texas wins the game, but I think Oklahoma State covers the 15 and a half. So I'm going with Oklahoma State as well. Uh, Michigan, minus 22 against Iowa. Uh, I was not, probably may not or won't score a point in this game. Um, so the question is, can Michigan put 22 up on Iowa? I think they can. I'm taking Michigan minus 22. If they can pass the ball, maybe, but they can also run the ball. Penn State scored 30 on them running the ball at home. Give me Michigan as well. <laughs> All right. We're both on Michigan. By the way, Scotty, uh, Vito is on Oklahoma State, Michigan, Florida State, Alabama. Still don't know exactly what his pick is for the Oregon game yet. He hasn't put it in. All it says is this fucking line is insane. Uh, Louisville, Florida State. Florida State is a two-point favorite in this game. My heart will break if if Louisville wins this game because I want Florida State to win this so bad. Not only because like one of my best friends in the world is a, is a Florida State fan, I want it for him, but I want it for this team. I want it for Mike Norvell. I want it for the everyone has they've been an afterthought with all these undefeated teams all year, and all they've done is showed up and win games. And I I love this Florida State team. This is a pick with my heart, not my head. I'm taking Florida State. Give me Florida State minus two. I think they win it. I think they punch their ticket. I think they're undefeated and they find their way into the college football playoff where they not only deserve, but they have earned as one of the best four teams in college football. Give me Florida State. Spoiler alert. The cards are pretty good. Give me the cards. My cousin graduated from there. Louisville all day. All right. And that brings us to our final game of the night. Georgia, minus five and a half. That line has dropped significantly. I believe it opened at Georgia minus eight and a half or Georgia minus nine and a half is all the way down to Georgia minus five and a half. People are heavy betting on Bama. Three of these five had dropped today, like significantly. Yeah. I mean, I looked at it this morning and it was Bama six and a half plus six and a half. Now it's Bama plus five and a half. I'm going to be boring. Uh, Saban's never lost in the Mercedes-Benz Dome. Uh, Saban also, I believe, is still undefeated in SEC championship games. That ends here. George George is a better football team. I I, I really want to pick Bama. I, I feel like the, the momentum coming in after the Iron Bowl, the way Bama's looked in the second half of the season, I still think George's defense is really good. I think Carson Beck has been a better quarterback than Jalen Milrose all season. Uh, I think the skill positions is a wash. I think the line of scrimmage favors Georgia. I think this is a really good game. Uh, and this could be the start of like the, hey, Kirby Smart, you've had this reigns here for a little while. That always happens, right? It was Saban until you had Dabo. And then it was Dabo until Saban knocked him back off again. I think this is Georgia, though. I, I believe in Kirby Smart, um, but I think it's close. I think it's closer than five and a half. So I'm going to take Bama to cover the spread, but I think Georgia wins. I think Georgia's your one seed in the college football playoff. Georgia needs to assert themselves at some point, right? 
and they're going to do it here. For. Ooh, all right. <laughs> they're going to do it here. They they lock up their spot for the third straight college football playoff championship uh, trip, and uh, and and they beat Bama pretty handily. Um, look, I, I I think both sides of the ball for Bama have just like been this progression. Yeah. Over the year, and we haven't seen what we think, and what the committee thinks. By the way, is the best version of Georgia, and they're still number one in the country. That's what the committee thinks, and I tend to agree with them. I think there's there's going to be this explosion, whether it's this week, next week, or the week after, because I think either way they're going into the playoff and probably into the national championship game. Um, so it's got to come at some point. Why not against Alabama? Basically, a home game for Georgia too. Um, at this point. So, uh, give me the dogs to roll. Dogs. Yeah. I, uh, I wanted to take Georgia, but I'm not betting against, uh, Saban to not at least keep this within a field goal. And I think that's where it's going to be. So, all right. That's everything. Long pod today. Very long. We appreciate you guys for listening. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Uh, we will be back, uh, on Tuesday to recap everything from week 13. Either Scotty or I will be very disappointed. Uh, but there's still plenty of football games left. Enjoy the conference championship games. Enjoy the week 13 of NFL football. Fuck you, Kurt Signetti. And that's all we got. So uh, for the boys, go I'm Jeff. Go, go birds. Go birds. That's all we have on the pod. We will be back next week. Until then, as always, take it easy, everybody.